And then for me to have those feelings in my heart and stand before a congregation and preach about the love of God, well, am I a hypocrite or am I not? Because, yes, I love God, but did I want to turn the other cheek as quickly as I could with all the power that I had within me? I wanted to turn that other cheek as, as, as harshly as I could. Hey, guys, this is Brian. And I'm Tony. And this is the Crucial Conversation Podcast. We are excited to do our first interview today on the podcast. Real quick, we're going to do a brief introduction of who we are. Uh, my name is Brian Hurd. I live in Truman, Arkansas. I go to church at the Pentecostals of Jonesboro. I've been a licensed minister with the United Pentecostal Church. Right now, I'm, I'm at the stage of the local license. I've been local licensed since 2015 and um, been preaching since uh, 2014. I'm Tony Goforth. I, as well as Brian, am a part of the Pentecostals of Jonesboro here in Jonesboro, Arkansas. Also live here in Jonesboro. And uh, I am a, of all people, I'm a preacher's kid. Uh, some say that's a good thing. Some say that's a bad thing. I just have a different view of ministry. Uh, preacher's kids are always the worst. Is what uh, I was told. Hey, take it easy. <laughs> Only because they hang out with saints kids. Only because they hang out with saints kids. <laughs> well, that's enough about us. We are super excited to have Brian and I's good friend, Reverend Bobby Harkin. Brother Harkin, how are you doing today? Doing fantastic. Thank you for the opportunity to come. No sir. problem. Uh, we're just glad to have you. We are super excited to have you here with us. Um, you ready to jump in? Feet first. Oh, let's do, let's it. do it. So tell me, at what age did you get in the church? Well, I was a bus kid. Bus kid. So in, I guess around 1977, they started offering me bubble gum, mm-hmm. and I would take it. And so I ended up going to several different churches that offer bubble gum. There you go. Uh, but in 1977, I was a bus kid. Uh, Patsy McDonald and Dorothy Bond and all of them would dress up as characters and invite us and we had, uh, I've got three sisters, so they sent us all off to Sunday school in the Green Monster. Well, I'm just thrilled that United Pentecostal Church throw out that, that bubble gum. It was, uh, you know, bus kids uh, grab about four or five pieces while church right. kids. So how old were you at that time? That made me seven. Seven. Seven years so, old. So, and you're currently a licensed preacher with the United Pentecostal Church? Yeah, I've been licensed since 1997. Perfect. So at what age did you start preaching, though? Started preaching right around 1990. I went to Bible school, Texas Bible College, in 1992, right out of the Army. Out of the Army? Uh, straight out of the Desert Storm, came back. Okay, so let's go, let's go back a little bit. Okay. So out of high school, you go into the Army? Uh, well, I was a Bible quizzer. Okay. <laughs> After being in Sunday school, I started Bible quizzing. I quizzed for probably about four years. And then I got my car at 16. And when I turned 17, I was still Bible quizzing, but that was my last year of Bible quiz. It was my junior year. Gotcha. And uh, my, my youth pastor, Brother John Yelovich, uh, was from uh, New Zealand. He left us. And uh, when he left, uh, I pretty much left with him. And uh, I started playing sports in high school. I decided to go ahead and play sports, and I knew that I didn't want to be a hypocrite. So, what was your sport of choice? Uh, well, being five foot six and can barely touch the foam <laughs> on the back of the backboard, <laughs> uh, basketball was my sport of choice. There you go. There you go. <laughs> but the Lord really blessed me in that, you know, there was a lot that had already been put in me. Mm-hmm. I got the Holy Ghost when I was 12. Uh, Brother Rusty Stanley prayed with me after everybody had left. I got the Holy Ghost when I was 12. So and where was this at? Pinehurst, you're not a Pentecostal church in Orange, Texas. Orange, Texas. When did you get the Holy Ghost, Tony? Uh, I was seven years old, and I 
I, I remember very vividly. Um, it was ice cold outside, and the only remember reason I remember that mm-hmm. is because the very next Sunday I got baptized, and that was before mm-hmm. you got those heaters and that street tank. Son, I feel it. And uh, <laughs> I, I'm from Illinois. I should have I should have told you all that. No. I was from Illinois, so we have cold winters there. Mm-hmm. And um, I almost felt like I had to break the ice to get. No, I, I kind of think we have cold winters here in Arkansas too. I'm just it's just a little colder there, seems like. <laughs> but I remember I was seven years old. Uh, I can take you to the exact place in. Cobden, Illinois, Mm -hmm. Um, I had come home uh, from this kids revival, Mm -hmm. and I really felt this pull on my life, and um, I didn't know how to express it. I really didn't, Mm -hmm. and, you know, I went up to the altar, I began to pray, and all of a sudden, I just felt this comfort come over me, and that's something I I hope I never forget, Mm -hmm. and I mean, it's just something that is so powerful, Mm -hmm. but go ahead, Brian, how about you? How about you? Whenever I, I grew up in the, in the church in Truman, and our youth pastor at the time, uh, I was probably, I'd had to been eight years old or so, um, was Eric Whittingham. And Eric Whittingham and his wife were uh, decided on a, I believe it was on a Wednesday night, to have a prayer meeting rather than a, a lesson. And so after, during the prayer meeting, I was on my knees at a metal folding chair, and that's where I remember speaking in tongues for the first time. Wow. And, at a prayer meeting. At a, at a prayer meeting. Wow. That's a novel that's idea, awesome. the Holy Ghost falling at a prayer meeting. Come Who ever would have heard of such a thing before? <laughs> but uh, anyway, but that's that's kind of where I got my start, and I remember I was so excited about everything that I, I remember back, like whenever I got in the, the vehicle to go back home, I had a packet of mechanical pencils, and I was just so excited to get to go to school to use these mechanical pencils. I mean, I was thrilled about everything whenever I, whenever I knew that I knew that the Holy Ghost was in my life, that I was saved to the Lord, redeemed. And, you could uh, face the world. And I could face the world. And I don't remember if it was before or after that I got baptized, but I remember standing at Pastor Ray's door, uh, nervous to knock on the door to ask him to be baptized. And, uh, you know, just kind of the rest is history. That night, uh, he had uh, Brother Whittingham baptize me. And so I'm forever indebted to the ministry of Brother Murray Ray and Eric Whittingham, who had their hand in my life at a young age. Um, spiritual fathers. Spiritual fathers, yes. yes. So, Brother Harkin, let's go back. You said you went to the Army. Um, I, uh, my, whenever my cousin went into the Navy, and I really wanted to do that. And I talked to some people um, about that. And one thing that my dad told me is it would be hard, not impossible, but hard to go into the military and serve God. Can, can you elaborate on that since you actually went through that? Yeah, I've got some pretty good stories about that. But really and truthfully, it is hard. Number one, you're at that unique age of 18. Vulnerable. That you, uh, you're trying to become the person that you think you're supposed to become. And, a lot of times when you've been raised in the church, the world tends to tell you that you've missed out on something. Right. Mm-hmm. And so when you become that person that's by yourself, that you can make those choices, you start doing things that uh, you know are not not good for you. Yeah, you know. And, and But you want to experience it because now you're quote-unquote grown. Out of mom and daddy's And uh, I'm a soldier fighting for our country, so therefore, you know, I should have this freedom and really, you know, I did experience some of those things, and I'm not happy about it by any means. 
But uh, a very funny story is when I went to Desert Storm, of course, my dad told me, he's a retired sergeant major, he told me, whatever you do, don't volunteer for anything. Mm-hmm. So since I was in charge of my life, you know what I did. You volunteered. I volunteered for everything. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that actually was a blessing for me because uh, I ended up volunteering after Desert Storm, uh, volunteering for a duty to ride a ship back home. And all during Desert Storm, uh, the scuds falling. I kept a little journal. And uh, even in a backslidden state, I would keep the Lord. Many people would witness to me, say, man, aren't you afraid of dying, aren't you? And, and, and in my heart, I knew I'd already had a chance. And, and I'd already prayed a prayer, Lord. And in fact, I wrote it in my Bible that my pastor gave me at graduation. Lord, if you let me back, make it back safely, I'll serve you the rest of my life. Now, were you serving uh, the Lord at that time? No, I was very much backslidden. Okay, so... Uh, I, I, how far into you went into the military? Yes, sir. As a as a, a eighteen to twenty one. Sure. And were you serving the Lord at that time? Uh, no. So no. I, I, at I, what point did you leave the church? Well, when my youth pastor left, I got into sports okay. and yeah, I didn't right. want to be a hypocrite. Okay. okay. You know, so that was wanna, in what age? Uh, seventeen. So yeah, then you joined so, the military. Yes, sir. And you were not living for the Lord. Right. And from seventeen, you, but to you about made 20. that decision. Lord, if you let me come home safely. Oh, absolutely. In the middle of Desert Storm, uh, I wrote it, Lord, if you let me. And people would come up to me, witnessing to me, mm-hmm. who were going, you're going to die. And they were having baptisms mm-hmm. left and right. Mm-hmm. And they would try to quote scriptures to me. And I would actually finish it and tell them where it's at. Because the Bible quiz. Exactly. And they would say, well, how do you know the Bible? And, and, and me being me. I was like, don't you know the devil knows the Bible too? And so it really messed with their minds, you know, just kind of like, oh my God. You know, but that was really something that I knew that if I could come back and really, I took a ship back home and it was with a uh, merchant marine ship bringing back tanks and things like that. And I got to start playing bridge with the captain. And the captain looked at me one night and he said, "Uh, what are you doing? And it was an off-the-wall question out of nowhere. None of the other soldiers were in the room. It was just me and him. He was teaching me how to play bridge. And he said, what are you doing? And I said, what do you mean? He said, you know what I mean. What are you doing? You don't belong in this Army. And I was like, I don't understand. And how long have you been in the Army at this point? This is uh, 18 to 20, so almost okay. three years. Okay. And he said, uh, I, I immediately, I said, hey, I excused myself. I went to the bathroom, and I looked at in the mirror, and I said, what are you doing? Mm. And uh, I came back, and he said, you don't belong in this man's army. You don't think like a soldier. You don't act like a soldier. You don't do anything. You're, you're destined to do something different. And I knew the Lord was using him at that time, even in a backslidden state. Mm. So he so, saw something in you when you were totally, to look at it. Yes, sir. Totally wow. different. And I, I really went to the bathroom and, and literally looked at myself in the mirror and said, wow. you know exactly what this man's talking about. Man, how many times have you since then? Done something similar though. Oh, oh, no doubt. <laughs> I, I have pastored uh, yeah. three churches in the uh-huh. and oh, have had. Let's, let's get there. Let's go there. So, so <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so at that point, at that point though, whenever you're you're in the military and he's looking at you and he's saying, "What are you doing? You're you're not like any of the other people here." And you knew at that point God was dealing in your life. Had you from a young person felt a call of God, or was this something? new you're about to step into? I've always admired my pastor. Mm-hmm. I've always admired my pastor's wife. Mm-hmm. I've always admired my youth pastor. Mm-hmm. I've always loved the things of God. Mm-hmm. I loved Bible quizzing for the competition part of it. Did you say who your pastor was? Reverend W.W. W. Smith, Orange, mm-hmm. Texas. He's been my same pastor for almost 47 years now. Wow. wow. Just amazing. Wow. Uh, 
just a tremendous man. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, I knew that I wanted to do something, but I always disqualified myself. Mm-hmm. I was a bus kid. I wasn't from the right pedigree. I never wore suits. Mm-hmm. Uh, the young people in our youth group had an amazing youth group, 46, mm-hmm. 47 kids. Uh, there was the who's who in the youth group, and I was the bus kid. Mm-hmm. And uh, even even in youth camp played a major role in me. Even when the youth group stopped going to youth yeah. camp, I kept going on my own, which only blessed me because I got so many more friends because mm-hmm. I had to show myself friendly. Yeah. Uh, and it really, you know, obviously sports played a big part in making friendships as mm-hmm. well. But I got to meet preachers, kids, pe- people that I'm still dear friends with today. Uh, that I grew up with mm-hmm. that you know so the church is always I loved it but at the same time I refused to be a hypocrite mm-hmm. so once I stopped going to church uh, even in the military I refused to identify as religious I refused to identify as mm-hmm. spiritual even though I had the background that I had I did not want to be that person that hung around the church mm-hmm. and went on the trips and then just came back to I, 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 I've always told people this I've been in church twice and out of church once right you know and that's kind of how I am I'm wired I'm very loyal mm-hmm. and when I made up my mind to live for God even with all the rough edges with, with all the terrible things that I've had to conquer just in my mind mm-hmm. uh, just being a bus kid using that as a um, Using that as a crutch or using mm-hmm. it as a chip, use it as whatever. Now I use it as a testimony. Right. And uh, several people in my youth group played an integral role in that. And Brother Brian Oswald wrote me a letter one time. He said, it's not that you're a bus kid that you should be ashamed of. It's mm-hmm. that you're a bus kid. That's your testimony. Mm-hmm. Beca- wow. Because... And he used these words, we're church kids, mm-hmm. so we've been handed everything. Mm-hmm. So when the times get tough, we look, we tend to think, mom and dad's going to bail us out or somebody. He said, but you're a bus kid doing it on your own. And so you have like a Rocky-like spirit that says, we're not going to quit because we know where we're going and we know what we're going to go back to. And so I had a I had a six-page letter from this young man, same age as me, that mm-hmm. really inspired me for many years that... You know, hey, Bobby, you're a leader. Yeah. And uh, but I had so many rough edges. I'd go to Bible college, and, and as soon as I got, the Lord worked a miracle out mm-hmm. for me. They asked for volunteers to to honorably discharge mm-hmm. right after they were gearing down the military, and in front of five thousand people, I stepped out and volunteered and said, "I'm done." You're done. Uh, yeah. and, and really and truthfully, that that was in. Uh, July 15th, somewhere around July 15th, July 17th. And I was in Bible school by August 27th. Wow. You know, Uh, one thing that I'm thinking while listening to that is thank God for people that play a critical role in youth ministry. Oh, because I know with me being a young person, the youth ministers that I've been under, the camp meeting directors, the camp meeting speakers, that have invested their time into my generation and into your generation. Yep. That we, the three of us sitting at this table, we all have very different stories. Absolutely. I, I was always raised in church. My dad is a Baptist that sits on Pentecostal pews, and my mom uh, has always, uh, pretty much in her entire life, has been in the apostolic uh, church. Tony comes from a pastor's home. Brother Harkin has a unique story as well. But all of us have been impacted, because I know I've talked with Tony before about different camp meetings and, and camps that we've Oh man, I, I was a camp rat. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, I, we, we I lived, lived on the campground. I haven't missed since I was 
seven. So, brother, yeah. I, can I mean, even whenever you were out of church, he, well, except when I was out of church, yeah, those okay. three years, I didn't yeah. see. I mean, I flirted with the world for for quite a while, but thankfully, whenever I was younger, ministers took time to plant seeds in me again, and it goes back to my pastor at the time, Brother Murray Ray, youth pastors like Brother Whittingham. Whenever I was very young, Brother Jonathan Sanders, Brother Jimmy Lovin, uh, these men put something in me, uh, and I thank God for that. Yeah, I, I want to go back for just a second. Mm-hmm. Um, we kind of fast forwarded to, I believe, what age when you were picked up? What age was that on the school bus or Sunday school bus? Seven. Seven. Let's go back before that. What What was home life? Was mom and dad ever coming to church? Did they ever no. come with you? No, they were definitely unchurched. Absolutely. Uh, did, they, did they ever follow in your footsteps? I know here at the Pentecostals of Jonesboro, it seems like we have one of few families that are because of the kids. Uh, do you have any any? Yeah, 1977, I started coming on the bus. We came for about a year. And then in a revival with Brother Gary Wheeler, my dad got the Holy Ghost on my oh, birthday wow. in 1978. What a, what a wow. birthday present. So, and he had, he, he military guy. He, and he worked in a jail at that time. And he smoked two packs of Marlboro cigarettes every single day. Wow. And he laid them down that night. He got the Holy Ghost and he's never smoked even to this day. Mm. So just a tremendous testimony that your children will bring your parents to church. You know, man. All right, let's let's jump forward now. I know we went. We were in the middle. We went back, and let's go forward a little bit. You said that you you you've pastored a couple churches. Is that right? Two, three churches? Three. Three churches. Well before that you were a youth pastor, weren't you? Been a youth pastor. So you were a youth pastor. At what age did you you came out of Bible school, right? Uh, you you were a youth pastor right after that, or well, what what happened was after I left Bible college, I went straight home, and from home I was the head of the youth committee, and so I wasn't quote unquote youth pastor. I worked with the committee, worked with the Bible quizzing team, uh, the church trash man, the bus driver, the van driver. The, the utility hitter. Whatever he wanted me to do, I wanted to serve God. I wanted mm-hmm. to serve God with all my heart. And then I got a, a, a pastor, my pastor's brother in Tarkadon Prairie, uh, called me and asked me to be his youth pastor full time. Mm-hmm. So I became a, well, I was still bivocational, but I became his youth pastor. Uh, and that was at a different location? Yeah, in Cleveland, Texas. And you were at what Prairie. age is this? That would put me at uh, 27, right when I got married. Wow. Uh, How long have you been married now? You said? Uh, 22 years. 22 did, years. Did I say that fast enough? Oh, man. <laughs> man you guys have missed my question. I just asked him why. <laughs> <laughs> so... At what age, or no? Let's 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 rephrase this question. At what point in your life did you feel a transition to be called a pastor to your calling of a pastor? Okay, well let's start. Let's start actually with my calling first. Sure, absolutely. Where were you at when you got your calling? Well, I was in Bible college. I always knew I wanted to be. I never preached a sermon while I was in Bible college ever. But I was at Brother Wayne McLean's church. Mm. And uh, tongues and inter- interpretation went forth three times. Wow. Two of those times, I, I totally told God, man, somebody's going to get their blessing tonight. God, man, bless them, God. Bless them, God. And then the third time, he said it was me. And, and when I say he, I felt God just come all over me and said, you're destined to, to lead. You're, you're destined to, to, to preach the gospel. And I was like, God, I've never even preached a Vesper, which is the, uh, it's like a prayer room mm-hmm. where the Bible guys get together and, and it's just the Bible guys, not the girls. Mm-hmm. And, and it was only a 15 minute sermonette, basically. Mm-hmm. I'd never even been qualified to preach one of those. Right. And so 
And that night, I remember distinctly going, if you will equip me, I will do it. Mm-hmm. But, Lord, you're going to have to equip me because you know my pedigree. You know my, mm-hmm. you know all the rough edges. Senses are hard when you're in you front know. of people. Huh? Senses are hard when you're in front of people. Oh, definitely. Definitely. <laughs> so it was really that defining moment. And then after that, you know, I, once again, I went home and submitted to my pastor. Uh, whatever he wanted. I can't walk on water. I made a ton of mistakes. Uh, but my pastor was very patient with me, loved me. And like I said, when I got the chance to be a youth pastor in Cleveland, we had 26 kids pray through that eight months that I was there in that wow. setting. It was phenomenal. So how many kids were there when you, you first took it over? Oh, uh, there, there was a good group there already. 26 got the Holy Ghost. Uh, how many of them got the Holy Ghost during your first message? I don't think any of them. <laughs> that's about that's about what I've always heard is that people are like, man, if you guys have a tape of that first message, please throw it away. I'll Leave tell you. Me. I'll tell you. I, one of my favorite things about growing up as a kid is whenever a new preacher or a uh, new minister would come to our church because mm-hmm. he knew it was fifteen minutes or less. Right. You know, oh, they were if they were younger. Yeah, well, I absolutely. had twelve pages of notes and finished in about eight minutes. Oh, so. wow. That's a pretty good reading. <laughs> Uh, it was. It was. Now, I mean, it's like yesterday, I talked for forty-five minutes and didn't get off page one. Right. So, <laughs> so you, you know, my, I was actually the opposite. I went way longer than I ever oh, well. should have been. Because uh, what happened with me is we were in the youth service and. Um, uh, Brother Jonathan Sanders was it was ending the service. We had two people give their testimonies prior to him, and he the crux of his message was something about how he wanted the next leader to take a step forward. And uh, whenever he said that, like I felt like I, I said to myself, I was like, "Well, that could never be me." And like as soon as that thought crossed my mind, I just felt the overwhelming. The power of the Holy Ghost just kind of right. fall over me. At the time, I didn't know really what it was. I mean, I'd been familiar with the Holy Ghost. I had been filled with the Holy Ghost before, but I had never felt that feeling, that overwhelming feeling. Like you said, it was like the anointing of God poured out right there. I mean, I, I was frozen, didn't know how to respond. I didn't lift my hands. I didn't verbalize any prayer. Sure. I just kind of was overwhelmed and I knew God was doing something in me. Now Brian, and how many people was in that ser- service with you? Uh, probably none. It was, now, we had it separated. The, the girls were having their own kind of a deal in the fellowship hall and we were in the youth room just the guys. Sure. So did you find it hard to in front of your peers step out and say I feel like that's me? Well like I said I didn't. I didn't because I didn't know how to respond. Oh, okay. I think okay. every I think everybody in that room mentally did because I could hear them praying. But I was so overwhelmed with what God was doing with me, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to step out. Even whenever they came over and, try, and prayed with me, I didn't know. I just because I had never felt that before. I had never right. felt God in that way, and to the point that I was I, I was just so caught up in the moment of what I felt and knew God was doing something in my heart. And the only thing I knew to do after that was to try and respond and step out. And I asked to uh, give my testimony about what I felt because at the time I didn't want anything to do with you service. I didn't want to be in you service. I never wanted to show up. I felt like my parents forced me to be in that particular service. And I was just wanting to encourage the other young people that you service is important because I don't know what God was doing in my life, but I knew he was doing something and I would have never felt it. I wouldn't, and he wouldn't be doing it if I hadn't have been there. Cause sometimes you just got to be there. Right. And, um, 
So I gave the testimony. I was asked to give it out in front of the church. Everything seemed to be going pretty well. And then uh, as far as I felt like it went over pretty well. Of course, I was like 14. Uh, Then uh, I got a second opportunity not to give a testimony, but to kind of preach a little bit. And we were doing kind of like little fiery fives. And I was the first one or the second one on that service. And I think I went like 17 minutes it had no coherent thought. It was all over the place. I made a, I made a statement. Some, I made a I made a statement of something about uh, evolution and how uh, I'm not a monkey, and everybody thought that was really funny. How many amens did you get? I would, yeah, I don't think I got it, to be honest with you. I think that, I think I got a lot of bless them, Lord, and, and God help them. But, uh, yeah, I found, I would, somebody did find the CD one time, and I gave it away to somebody. Oh, well. And so I have no idea where it is. I kind of wish I had it, but I don't want to ever accidentally hear it. <laughs> oh, man. Thank God for good beginnings. Uh, yeah. Well, we didn't have podcasts then, so. Brother Harkin, I would love to. Uh, to talk about um, your pastoralship, mm-hmm. um, you were you were you were a youth pastor, very successful at that. When did you know, not only as a on your carnal side, you know I'm ready for that change, but spiritually, what what happened? Um, when did you know? When was it confirmed that you know that was right? When you segue into this, because we've had the conversations before, uh, you had a relationship with TF Tenney. Yeah. Whenever you were in Louisiana, yeah. does how, how does that all? Because I know that he tied into your story of being the youth pastor somehow, and I know he's a man that many people look up to and admire. And I'm wondering uh, how what's his fingerprint on your life? So TF Tenney actually spoke. We, we've had several conversations, and he actually spoke in my life and gave me direction at one time. The Lord blessed me with uh, another place to be a youth pastor. Uh, right when we were uh, having youth pastor two places, yeah, mm-hmm. uh, a small church about sixty seventy five that now runs close to one hundred one hundred fifty, mm-hmm. uh, and a lot of those kids are now in ministry mm-hmm. that either on the instruments or something. But really excited. I went back and preached for them a while back, and a lot of them were there. A lot of them were backslid, but they did come. It was a real good reunion. And then the next time was in in a place in Louisiana. Uh, I got the privilege to to be a youth pastor for about eight months there mm-hmm. uh, as, you know, Caleb was being born. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, we had been evangelizing all over Texas, Arkansas, Louisiana. As your youth pastor? Uh, or, or after I was a youth pastor. Okay. Uh, 98 to 2000, 98, 99, somewhere in there. Sure. Uh, and then I started being youth pastor in Louisiana in 99. So you're married to Tabitha and you're, and Caleb, your first yeah. son is? He showed up in 98. Okay. Uh, miraculously. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, I was about to have ready to show up. <laughs> uh, what a joy! What a complete joy! It took me forever, and you know, it took me all the way to 1998 to go to Because of the Times, and he was in Because of the Times when he was a month old. So mm-hmm. wow! Uh, while we we're in Oakdale, I got Sister Vesta Mangan to mm-hmm. to dedicate him, you know, along wow. with my pastor. So wow, there's a great anointing on his life that God has some great mm-hmm. things what in store for him. Pillar. Oh, yeah. tremendous! I was blessed while I was in that church to to rub shoulders with 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 icons of Pentecost. It was a very large church, four, four fifty. Uh, right, who, who all would be some of these icons? I know we're, we're trying to get to where, where Tony was asking about the pastoralship. Right. Brother but, George Guy, Brother Merle, wow. uh, Merle Ewing mm-hmm. from Lake Charles, he actually cooked a steak, him and Brother Guy. Wow. 
uh, what a treat, you well, know. Uh, uh, side uh, note, how do you like your steak? Uh, medium well. Uh, oh, my so, word. No. <laughs> that was going to end it for this no. podcast. No. Okay, so we were in Hot Springs just this last week on vacation. We went to this uh, this steak place. It was called the ba- uh, Back Porch Grill or something like that. And, uh, man, that was one of the worst steaks, honestly, that I've ever had. <laughs> like, it, I don't know what it was. It just was not that impressive. Let's get back. And, Let's no, get hold back. On. No, hold on. So, <laughs> Melissa, she ended up getting a New York strip. And, and Actually, no, I'm sorry. The night before, we went to the Porterhouse Steakhouse. That was the worst steak I'd ever had. Their prime rib, it just tasted kind of old. And uh, But we went to the front porch, and my ribeye was pretty good. It was Melissa's steak that was bad. And so she was she took a bite of it, and she's like, it had no flavor. And she took another bite, and she went, you know what? I've got to have some ketchup with this thing. Ketchup with her steak? Oh, I started, honest, I literally started getting sick. That's, I'm not being hyperbolic. marriage counseling. I seriously, because <laughs> I'm so passionate about steaks, and the, the thought of someone putting a steak in ketchup, it honestly did make me sick. It made me want to throw up. It's almost as bad as a medium well steak. Oh, it worse. <laughs> worse. <laughs> All right, no, so the good thing is, is I'm not a steak connoisseur. Oh, I oh, am. So. Medium rare, baby. Oh. But I will tell you, I am a connoisseur of preachers. Okay. Oh, so yeah. Good me, segue back. Good segue back. <laughs> let me get to where I was going with that. Okay. you got to remember I was a bus kid. Yeah. Uh, so for me to sit at the table with Merle Ewan and George Guy Enjoying and Robert Bayer, the walking Bible, uh, tremendous ministries, Clifton Lejeune at that time was one of my favorite preachers. Mm-hmm. Still a great uh, preacher. Still a phenomenal yeah, a lot preacher. of marriage. Uh, Fantastic. Uh, yes, sir. Just seminars. But in Bible college, I went to Brother O.R. Foss's church, Jim oh, Kilgore's church. How many times did you hear him preach on hell? Exactly. Oh, many. And, and poured my heart out. But I... I I went there for that. Yeah, yeah for that. No, I mean, I literally, I knew he was a legend in Pentecost. You know, I knew his dad was a legend in Pentecost. They were there at the merger. Mm-hmm. I wanted to find those apostolic roots. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be a part of something phenomenal. And so James Kilgore. Well, yeah, it was just so. Here's a bus kid. Uh, I've met O.R. Falls. I've met James Kilgore, Vesta Mangan, G.A. Mangan. You know, I'm just a bus kid, but mm-hmm. God really has allowed me to to at least appreciate the heritage of Pentecost. You know, a lot of men would be, I don't know about you, but we I've grown up in the age of all these phenomenal uh, men who mm-hmm. blazed a trail for yeah, that's us. That's like an age of heroes. You know, that that's exactly mm-hmm. right. And, 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 I mean, I had Robert Baer uh, sign my Bible. I've, I've mm-hmm. had Brother Falls sign my Bible. Brother Lee Stone King sign my Bible. Uh, those are men that generations from now, mm-hmm. they will know that they blazed a trail through uncharted waters, taking us to extraordinary levels. Mm-hmm. You know, and those are the things that I'm grateful. And what a generation, so, too. What I mean, that's just... Like you said, like we were saying, those are the icons. We still look at those men, even though many of them that you've mentioned they've passed on, right. they just have a legendary. Their voice, voice. Their their voice is yeah, still they're, they're, there. They're still, voice is you still, still there. go back and listen. To so tell me the story. I'm very interested of TF Tenney. Yeah, tell me that story. Well, the story. Uh, do, do you mind sharing? Is that personal? Well, it's a tough one, but I don't mind sharing because tough is part of living for God as well. Absolutely. And so, I had the privilege to 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 serve as youth pastor, and you you learn from uh, everyone, and even in challenging circumstances, uh, I was able to navigate uh, demanding times. Uh, of not always being, you, you want to be loyal to whoever has hired you, 
And I've always taught that you uh, are always been taught you obey the pastor no matter what. Uh, but I will tell you that I had a moment of uh, where me and the pastor didn't see eye to eye. And so I had to talk to Brother Tenney. And in this case, you know, the pastor was just a different individual who was very intelligent, but uh, I'm trying to be delicate here. Absolutely. Not to, to offend his family or anyone else, but, but at that time I was learning a lot of things not to do. Uh, people skill-wise, he was intelligent but didn't relate to people as, as well as... Uh, in, I was a youth pastor, so I had to submit and I had to be loyal to, to him until I couldn't be any loyal. And a principle that I've always learned is, is the only time you have a chance to prove you're loyal is when you have a greater opportunity to be disloyal. Mm-hmm. Wow. And so I went to Brother Tenney and, and I said, you know, Brother Tenney, there are board members asking me to to give them the quote-unquote scoop, scoop on this pastor. And they're knocking on my door at 10, 11 o'clock at night. And Brother Tenney advised me to, to resign with class and not with clash. And that if I threw ground, everybody, or threw mud, everybody would lose ground. Mm. And so... What a TFT. What what it, was, it, was, it was not an easy thing to go through. It was, it was my first time to have to experience. But I will tell you that when I submitted my resignation letter, I read it a couple of weeks ago. I found it in a box and went, oh, my God. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, I, but I really thank the pastor for everything he taught me. And I left it at that. And I left it with... Um, you know, really, the church I totally loved. In fact, today it's one of the stronger churches in Louisiana still. So it survived me, and it survived that other pastor. Mm-hmm. Uh, they did uh, remove that pastor 10 days after I left. They voted that pastor out, which wow. is what I told my pastor. And I, I didn't I didn't know how to be any more loyal. I, I didn't want that to happen, but at the same time, that was the handwriting that was on the wall. So... Uh, so immediately, you know, Brother Clark called me out of the blue. And, uh, Who's Brother Clark? Brother Dennis Clark from New Caney. Mm-hmm. And uh, he had, Tabitha had a divorce situation when she was growing up. Mm-hmm. And so when they were with their dad, that's the church she went to. And then she went to Brother Gerald's church in Orange when mm-hmm. they were with her mom. And he said something profound to me. He, uh, he loved me. And he, he came and said, I don't want you to preach. I don't want you to teach. He said, I just want you to meet me here and bury your face in the carpet for the, the next 90 days. Mm-hmm. And me and him would meet at the church and pray. And uh, he said, when the Lord releases you, you're, you're going to go and you're never going to look back. And, and that's exactly what happened after 90 days. Uh, revivals opened up. I went straight back to evangelizing. How hard were those 90 days? Uh, they were growing days, you know, because I, I felt like, you know, you— in every instance, you're going to feel like you leave something undone. In every instance, you're going to ask yourself, what could I have done better? What could I have done worse? Could I have avoided all the things that I went through if I had just been more submissive or more? You always want to, you, you're, I don't know about you, but me, I always want to be in alignment with the Word of God. I've always heard that it trickles down. And if I'm out of alignment under the umbrella of authority, that if I'm doing my own thing, I can't be blessed. Right, and so I've always wanted to try to be in alignment with my pastor. Or with I have, brother Harkin, I've found. Um, I'm going to be very transparent right here. I have found trying to follow God's will 
hurts so bad. <laughs> and I wonder, I have, I have this question written down for later for you, but I'm going to ask you now. Um, have you ever been ready to give up in the ministry? And if you have. Every Monday. Every Monday. <laughs> and if you have, what, what did you, how do you overcome that? Because I, we have seen so many, there are some United Pentecostal preachers that were, I was, I looked up to as a child that are no longer a part of our organization. And you see them one, one week preaching up because of the times and you hear, or general conference and you hear the very next week, they're no longer affiliated. They're no longer married. They've left the church. That kind of stuff just, it not only hurts hurts to see, but it's hard to understand how stuff like that could happen. Well, I, th- I think it's real easy to understand, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. And that is, you, you've got dual natures. You've got a spiritual nature. You've got a carnal nature. And uh, it's very basic. It, but at the same time, when it comes to the organization and I'm just going to say it like I've experienced it. Mm -hmm. The organization is only as good as you make it. Mm -hmm. And if you use the organization to fulfill your drive or your motivation or your dreams, the organization will fail you every time because it's Mm man-made. It's a body of people. You're in this to serve God. Wow. And so it transcends God transcends this organization mm-hmm. Peter and James and John weren't members of the UPC That's right. in fact I had a pastor one time that I served that I love dearly and I'm going to call his name Dwayne Dykus right here in, in, in Arkansas he's very blunt where is he pastor now? Uh, he pastors in Mayflower he pastored Mayflower. in Magnolia for 28, 29 years uh, tremendous man of God. Tremendous man of God. And very blunt. Very, You never had to question where you stood. Mm-hmm. He knew what he understood. But he said. he said, you know, Bobby, why are you uh, reading, you know, I would read, I read all kinds of leadership books. And he's like, well, you don't need to be reading non-UPC books. And I said, Brother Dykus, the Bible is not UPC. <laughs> you know? And, yeah. and I mean, I love our organization. Yeah. And I don't, I, I yeah. refuse to down the organization. Mm-hmm. But I refuse to think that this is the apex of living for God, holding a title or position mm-hmm. or a uh, being being a who's who. Uh, we all have human uh, dreams and ambitions and desires, but heaven is still the mark. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of men, and I can't speak for those men that have come and gone, I can only say that I got caught up early on wanting to be a youth leader of a section and wanting to be on the committee and wanting to do. And and, and I think that's only natural because it's part of the process of, hey, you know, Mm -hmm. I would love to be in that position. You know, who wouldn't want the opportunity to preach at some conference or be some keynote speaker? Plus, most of the people preaching there, they have the pedigree of they were this superintendent or they were over that department. Well... Once again, I believe God raises up men, mm-hmm. and God designs everything. Yeah. And I've even had moments where I had to look at individuals and tell them, you know, they thought, you know, that I was somehow connected, mm-hmm. uh, that the only reason you're in the position you are is because you must know somebody. And I looked at them and said, I'm a bus kid from Texas, and Arkansans mm-hmm. can't stand Texas. <laughs> you know, you know, you yeah. got a better chance being from LSU because you're in the SEC. That's right. If you want to look at carnal things, mm-hmm. you know, I know nobody, and nobody pulled my strings but James, the book of James. 
James says, and I live by this, let the brother of low degree rejoice in that he will be exalted. Mm-hmm. And that is, to me, is there a day that I might serve as a conference speaker? Sure, that's a possibility. God raises up people all the time, and God sets people down all the time. I'm not striving to become that. But what I am striving to is I'm very satisfied doing exactly what I'm doing. God, if you open up the door, I'll walk through it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't have to walk through it for me to be anybody. I, I'm very happy being who I am. I'm very comfortable in who I am. Uh, do I want to pastor again someday? Absolutely. I'd love to pastor again. But am I going to go try out for every church that comes open? Absolutely not. Mm-hmm. You know, that's just not. I believe, you know, the Lord's blessed me with this, This. Uh, well, I guess it's going on four-year sabbatical of the pressures. You know, you had asked a question earlier in the day about uh the difference of not pastoring or, or going from pastoring to becoming just a saint. Or, yeah, that was or a question I had here was going to be, how hard is it? Uh, because you've pastored, now, I know we've said it a couple of times, but just to highlight it, how many churches have you pastored? Three. Though? Three churches. And now you are a member here in our church. Yes. And I was going to ask, uh, how hard is it to go from being the senior pastor to being a member in the congregation? Unbelievably easy. Mm-hmm. You don't have the weight of the world on your shoulders the buck doesn't stop with me the duck it doesn't rise with me i don't have to uh, micromanage or manage or assimilate or uh, all i have to do is whatever pastor asks me to do and whatever the lord urges me to do but the weight of the cares the daily cares uh the political correctness mm-hmm. the uh coddling the knowledge of what everybody's going through that's a heavy weight that that I don't know about so I preach so differently than a pastor who's under the weight of the love that he has for those people and the knowledge that he knows Mm -hmm. and what they're intricately going through or intimately going through I have no knowledge of that. So when I preach, I have no clue of the latest news or the gossip. Or so it's 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 a lot less of a. I'm to be honest with you. When I approach the pulpit, I have so much confidence in God mm-hmm. because I don't know no no no. no I don't know any of the situations. So yeah. therefore, I don't have that human uh, empathy or compassion or whatever it may be that may want to side with somebody just from the physical. I can only just walk in the spirit and let the Lord minister to the precious people that God's assimilated for that service. So from that standpoint, and it's so good to say the things that I always, in fact, I I would love to write a book Mm -hmm. and I've said this for years, things I wanted to say, just didn't feel comfortable in saying. Yeah. Well, I say those now Yeah. because I don't question if anybody, no one knows there's no self-serving here. Mm-hmm. It's kingdom serving, mm-hmm. and it feels so much better. Now, that probably came through my immaturity as a pastor, and you're going to be any pastor that tells you he's got it all figured out is, is probably not being truthful. Uh, and I'll just say it, that that's about as much. We don't have it all figured out. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things that I struggled with is I would always try to say things in this generation so the snowflakes could appreciate it not for so much a gathering, not so much for a um, mm-hmm. popularity or, or, or a monkey on the string so I can dance, but so that they could be fed yeah. without being um, 
coddled, I guess. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's different when you've invested in that soul. So, to brings me to your question, and I hate to dominate because I don't want to dominate this conversation. No. Oh, but we're enjoying this. But you brought something out that was very, very important. And that is, at what point did I transition from being an evangelist to a pastor? Mm-hmm. Right. And let me. Let me. Let me. Um, tell you why okay. I asked a question like this. Um, y'all both have told me, you know, Brother Ray was such a, a vital role in Brian's life, and uh, Brother uh, Smith, Brother Smith, yeah, from from Orange, Texas, yeah. played that role in your life. Yeah. Uh, when I was growing up, I was privileged to sit under the ministry of a man named Joey McKinnis, and he became not only my pastor, not only a mentor. But almost like a, a, a father to me. I mean, I had a, I had a great father. I, I don't want to ever take away from the fact that my father was was not so someone else had to be. Sure, I had a great father. Yeah. But something my 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 dad did for me was Joey McKinnis was building a house one summer, and it was my summer. But I got up every single morning. As soon as the sun would come up, and Dad sent me to Joey McKinnis's house, and we went to go build that house. Little did I know he was pouring into my life at that time. Right. We were building a house, but we were building a relationship. Right. And um, I'm I'm going to be open with you here. Whenever I believe I was, I had to be probably 18, 19 years old. Joey McKinnis had resigned my the home church that I was a part of in Cobden, Illinois. He'd been my pastor from age 6 to age 18, 19, somewhere in that age. And I remember where I was at when I got the phone call that my dad was the assistant pastor at the time. And he called me and said, hey, uh, Brother McKinnis has resigned. Um, his resignation is going to be coming out tonight at the church um, I just wanted to give you a forewarning I remember going and sitting I worked at a car dealership at the time I remember going to a used car that had just gotten traded in in the back of the car dealership I sat in that car and I cried like a little baby I cried and cried and cried to the point I began to question God I began to wonder if he was in God's will because he made such an impact in my life. And I, I, I began, I remember calling Meredith uh, and I said, we, me and Meredith was dating at the time. And I called Meredith. I said, I don't know what in the world. Should, why, why would he resign? Doesn't he know he means this to me? Uh, he was the presbyter of Section 1 in the Illinois District. He was my pastor. He was my best friend. We we ate lunch almost every day in the summer. Uh, we played softball together. We played racquetball together. We were always together. Wow. He was my best friend. And I remember when he left, um, I was bitter. I was bitter towards God. Um, I, I'm just going to be honest with you. I, I wanted I wanted to leave with him. And, you know, my dad got voted in as pastor. I was still upset at the time when my family should be excited, happy. And I felt like I was unfair to my dad because of how I felt whenever Brother McKinnis had left. And I guess my question to you is, as a pastor, when did you know 
that there was a shift coming? How did you end up as a saint and not a, as a pastoral role? Well, that gets into, uh, once again, character-building moments. Uh, you're praying, you're preaching, you're doing everything you can. One thing that we do um, as, as saints of God, we tend to become relying on our walk with God like we should. We should be 100 totally percent on the Lord, and we should be walking in the Spirit. In saying that, when you get to the place that all you do is ministry and you don't connect outside and have some human moments of uh, backing away from all the cares uh, and you don't build those in like you, I started originally. I would take a week or I would take two weeks where I would just saturate myself with books, even going back to Louis L'Amour books and things like that. So to answer your question there, I had kind of isolated myself. I'd stopped going to district meetings. I'd stopped going to sectional meetings. I'd stopped going to a lot of things that were uh, so needful because of the times just means meant the world Fuel to me. Yeah. Uh, just thinking that I couldn't afford to do this, or I couldn't, and really I couldn't afford not to do those things. Uh, but being bivocational, we, we try, I tried to always practice what I preach, and, and I'm very transparent in that, even to sometimes that's not a uh, popular thing to do. People love to hear you preach it, but to practice it, that's another story. Uh, we preach and we should practice God, family, church, and I've always tried to love my boys and my wife to the best of my ability. In saying that, uh, nine years of tremendous church, you know, not always steady growth. You know, we, we had our move-ins, we had our move-outs. You know, the meal shut down, and that was a hard time. And I took a sabbatical around, I guess, 2010. And, and I guess to get to the whole point of where I was at before my transition was I'd felt like the community that I came into originally had changed. There was a lot of, a lot of turnover in our community. And uh, I was getting to the place where I really, what's the best way I can say it? Uh, I really felt like I listen to motivational things, and maybe this will help you. Where I once again, when you isolate yourself, you start putting in alternatives. Right. And one of the alternatives I had was listening to motivational speakers like Zig Ziglar or Tony Robbins or you know carnal speakers that are actually good in their place, but not actually spiritual voices. So one of the things that I bought into is instead of why me, why me, why me, I was getting out of that attitude of why me and, and more into asking the question, why not? Why not go somewhere that has a, uh, a thriving community? Why not go to a community that when you wake up and you see uh, the beautiful mountain and you see the beautiful river, why not? And those were questions for me, carnal as they may be, that were starting to take effect that on me personally, you know, and I allowed that trick of the enemy, to be honest with you, in my life of saying, you know, you're down here in South Arkansas and the town is drying up literally. And a lot of the towns in here in the Delta have dried up as well. Downtown boarding up, you know, it's, you know, when you believe that you have something to offer, 
I believe God tends to put that uh, feeling in your heart that, hey, you know, there's something more out there. And so I wrestled with the two things of do I stay and be faithful? I've been there 10 years in a dying town. And God, I, I even, like I said, I took a sabbatical and I really felt like the Lord in 2010 told me anytime, any place, anywhere, anyhow. And those were the four words that God gave me. So I went back home from 2010 to 2015 and held on to those words, uh, just saying anytime, any place, anywhere, anyhow. If John the Baptist can have revival in the middle of a desert, uh, there wasn't anybody in the desert. Right. But he had revival. Right. You know, and John the Baptist didn't go to Bible college, you know, so anytime, any place, anywhere, anyhow. Uh, and so I just felt like, okay, God, I'll do it here. If this is where, if this is my lot, then I'll do it. And then in, in 2014, a, a lot of things transitioned. Had a lot of, had the loss of a, of a youth pastor, had a loss of uh, some precious saints that I buried. And, and uh, the, the, the day-to-day cares, really. I didn't want to bury another person. I didn't want to lose precious people that I loved very much. At the same time, I thought, you know, putting in my family, putting my family in a growing area, in a growing church, you know. you know. And I remember praying this prayer, and y'all will laugh at me at this, but I'm probably not the only pastor that's ever prayed this. But I remember praying at my desk one day, Lord, if you allow me to teach Sunday school in a larger church... I'll be just happy. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the Lord has answered that prayer. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I really, you know, I look at all things work together for good to them that love God. So that's why, you know, towards the end, there were some things that went on. And I'm just a very transparent person in my uh, I'm not the type of person that would ever use the pulpit to lash out or to try to correct or I, I, I corrected but but if it air grievances yeah that, that's not the place where it's right. God's it's, it's, it's a sacred desk and these are sacred people and for me to approach that sacred desk with something in my heart was more than I could bear and there was no way and, and in fact they told me brother Harkin you've been preaching so long you should have notes that you could go back to that could be We'll listen to them again. You know, don't resign, don't quit, you know, just persevere. And, and, and in my immaturity or whatever, I'm, I'm going to blame it on immaturity, even though I'm about 60 now. <laughs> just kidding. Uh, in, in my whatever zeal I had of, of why not me, why not go live in a resort town, you know. And so I just told the Lord, you know, I'm done, you know, and it was probably the worst conversation me and the Lord's ever had because I've never done that before. I've never quit on God. Uh, the last time I quit on God was when I backslid, you know, and so this is really something that I need to bring out that I want both of y'all to uh, and whoever's listening to understand. And that is from 1995 all the way to 2015, uh, I was blessed to receive remuneration for coming to church. God would supply our needs through the giving of precious people. And in 2015, the light came on that no longer was I going to receive that remuneration. Now what are you going to do? And really the devil looked at me and I felt like the devil was throwing in my face. What are you going to do now? You know, now that you're not being paid to go to church, are you going to be faithful? Are you going to do these things? Mm. And... It was a conversation that I 
had to come to grips with that mm-hmm. I'm still what I was when I was a bus kid and I'm still what I was when I came back in the first place. Mm-hmm. I am who I am and I'm not quitting. And most of y'all, and this may be your segue, uh, the whole first year in Russellville, I love the community. I absolutely love the community. Uh, so, so you were in Fordyce. Yes. And you have now resigned. And so you go to Russellville first. Well, we tried about five different churches. Okay. We, we went all over the state mm-hmm. to to all of our larger churches at that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, name churches. And just, again, to underscore the impact of, of what's going on. So you had you pastored in three churches. And where were those churches at? Ashdown. It had eight members, mm-hmm. and none of them voted for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, uh, pastored there for about a year and a half, mm-hmm. and uh, got a call from my presbyter, and he asked me to come be his assistant, mm-hmm. and uh, offered me the outreach director, mm-hmm. and offer, also said I could go to college. So that's when me and my wife got our college degrees mm-hmm. in teaching. And what, what town uh, was this? Magnolia, Arkansas. Magnolia. All right, so Ashdown was a year and a half. Ashdown was a year and a half. And then you went to Magnolia. Then we went to Magnolia till 2003. Mm-hmm. And then uh, we went to Prescott. Prescott at that time was running maybe 20, 18 to 20. Mm-hmm. And uh, had some good times there, some tremendous times. Had Tom Foster, Wayne Huntley, uh, Clifton Lejeune. We would pack that place out. Uh, Jam, Greater Arkansas Mass Choir, one yeah. time was there at, at our church there in Prescott. Uh, really, it's crazy, but we had four-wheeler Sunday. We had horse ride Sunday. We had all kinds of stuff, and it was just—we had some great times there. Uh, stayed there till 2005, so mm-hmm. about a year and a half there. And then uh, really went to district conference. Mm-hmm. Really didn't want to leave Prescott. Didn't have anything on my agenda to leave. In fact, I was in the middle of a loyalty series. Mm-hmm. And, uh, <laughs> and, wow. uh, but I went to district conference. and uh, That is so funny. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's one of those deals where, you know, the Lord's trying to get loyalty through to me. That, yeah. And I try to be super loyal. I really do. Uh, but there's probably nothing more. Um, oh, what's the fellow that uh, deceived America? What, what is the... Uh, Oh, I can't think. Of I think you stumped Brian and I. Uh, oh, y'all would know it. The, the guy, guy who deceived America. Yeah, right at the beginning, he uh, turned coat. Uh, you know the people. Oh, Benedict Arnold. Benedict Arnold. Oh, yeah. No. That, that, that's that's the, the stamp that I when, felt when you said deceiving America. I was thinking, if you like your doctor, you can keep it. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it came a little later. <laughs> okay, so we were th- I was thinking a little bit closer to, yeah, to, yeah. to our yeah, timeline. Benedict Arnold. You know, I, I really. <laughs> they asked me to. Come and preach at the church, and I went and preached at Fordyce, and uh, I was fine with preaching one time, and then they called me back and said, "Hey, we need you to preach another one." And I was like, uh, "I don't got another one." <laughs> I mean, I can get away with preaching out one time, but so I'm sitting in the office in Fordyce, and my assistant pastor at that time calls me and said, "Are you trying out for a church?" Oh and my! So uh, I said, "Well, we're just following the Lord, you know. We're we're." we're we're just going to go where the Lord leads us. Right. So it was not an easy conversation because, you know, he definitely, uh, we loved them very much. Mm-hmm. You know, we loved everybody at Prescott. And uh, they voted me in 100% that Wednesday night. And uh, Brother Price called me and said, hey, they voted you 100%. So I said, no, I don't want it. 
ain't no me and my wife don't even get along 100 percent of the time <laughs> how did you get 30 individuals to do that so we stayed there for 10 years and, and truly enjoyed it truly enjoyed being a part of that ministry so and you were in Fort Astor how long now 10 years 10 years and then it was all over yeah uh we went to Russellville and sat and cried and cried and cried. I didn't realize how depressed, and this is what I was saying about segueing into, mm-hmm. uh, I felt like a, a divorce or a death or a, uh, I, I can't tell you, I, I just, uh, I missed it with all my heart. The mm-hmm. responsibility, the accountability, the uh even the flushing the commodes and making sure the air conditions were off and the locking mm-hmm. of the doors. Every once in a while here, I'll just flush the commodes for good time's sake. Uh, but I, I truly went into a depressed state, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I, I think I was right around 275, 300 pounds when, mm-hmm. I, when I got to Russellville. And by the time I was in Russellville, by the time I got here, I got up to 425 pounds. Wow. Just very depressed. I even, uh, I'm very anti-medicine, very anti-chemicals because of the chemical background my family has. And so I decided I was going to try if that's what I needed. You know, something's not working. So I would come to church, even here. I would come to church my first year here, and I would weep, and I would raise my hands, and trying to work through the depression, trying to work through. Uh, Abraham Lincoln has a quote that I, that I used during this whole time, and that is when he didn't know what to do as president, he did what he thought he should do. Mm-hmm. And that's the same thing that I kind of espoused myself to was, Lord, I know I'm supposed to raise my hands and worship. I know I'm supposed to worship my way through this. And uh, it's not easy talking about depression because... In, in, in our circles, we, we tend to think that it's just a spiritual battle. The problem is it is a spiritual battle, and we wrestle not against flesh and blood. But I would get up, I would pray, I would read my Bible, I would kiss my boys and pray with my boys and send them off to school and go cry and go get back in bed. Mm. Uh, not a giant at all, not a lion at all, just completely shut off, you know, and so I really went into a, a dark place to the point where I finally said, okay, I'm going to seek counseling uh, outside, but I still wanted a Christian counselor, so yeah. I found a Christian counselor in Jonesboro and uh, no, not using any names or anything like mm-hmm. that, but uh, I went to this individual twice, and on the second one, I ended up counseling them, and they were crying <laughs> Hmm, the more, heart of a pastor. More than, yeah. more than you know. Uh, so I, that was my last counseling session. And really the way that I've defeated depression was not easy at all. I've tried to stay in the Word. I've tried to get involved. Uh, when I say I got in the bed and I would stay there all day long, I really would. And I'm not proud of that by any means. Other people thought I was out working. Other people, my wife thought I was out working. Hmm. And I would just cry. You know, there was nothing I can do to make myself better, and, and I felt like I just didn't know what else to do. And I've never admitted this publicly, and, and, and my wife's probably going to hear this, but but I have had suicidal thoughts. I had mm. those thoughts. You know, mm. she could be a lot better off, and I would start telling myself that, and the boys mm. could be a lot better off. But it's a lie from the pits of hell. And uh, scriptures from Bible quizzing would come back to me. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. One of the best turning moments that I had was 
and y'all not gonna believe this, but you guys reaching out to me to play in ping pong. Oh man, yeah. was really a big deal for me, you know, because it it got me out. Well, Even, when when and, you very first came here, um, I'll never forget. Uh, Pastor Runyon had actually asked you to come up and uh, greet the congregation. Brian, you okay, man? <laughs> yeah, okay. Uh, Pastor Runyon had actually asked you to I come up break for a to come up and greet the congregation, and uh, I remember my wife looking at me and saying, "That man has a genuine heart." And we went home that night, and you know, looked forward to hearing hearing you preach. Uh, Brother Pastor had you on schedule yeah. quite a bit longer ways down. And, but that night, Pastor said that we're going to have Brother Harkin preach here in a little while. And I didn't know until about a year after you were here, uh, we instantly became friends. Yeah. We really did. And it was not until a year of you being here that I realized that you opened up and told me about your depression. Yeah. And, you know... At that time, I couldn't relate. However, my wife isn't here. I'll speak for my wife. Um, she has went through some pretty hardcore depression. Yeah. Um, she lost her father to cancer. Her father was her best friend. Uh, she um, was really close to her her pastors in a prior church she went to. Um, that kind of went in a different direction than she went. Her and her parents went. Sure. She lost them like that. When she moved to Jonesboro, uh, she got close to uh, some leadership that was here, and that kind of hurt her. Right. Um, you know, and the fact that my family could relate with you on that level right. was something that it's hard to build a relationship like that. Yeah. And for you to open up and talk about your depression to, to me and Brian, um, that's something that we can't take lightly. Right. And Brian and I was talking on the phone today um, about a podcast we were going to do with you tonight. And we were wondering how many apostolic people, men, women, children, pastors, senior saints, Sunday school teachers, music directors, are hiding behind that same depression, are hiding behind um, their feelings, and are having those thoughts. Uh, can you elaborate a little bit on that? Well, I can't speak as to how many. Well, well, let me ask you like this, because I think this is where he's kind of going with that, is what do you say to the person? Absolutely. That... If this person was it. listening to you right now, you know the, how did you overcome that depression? Like the uh, once again, I already told you, and that was you just simply invited me to a ping pong thing. But wow. you connected to me back to people who wanted to be around me intentionally, and I say that as kindly as I can. You get to the place where, at least I did. What do I have to offer? You know, I've gained all this weight. I don't have the energy. I'm crying myself to sleep. I'm trying to put my best foot forward because you always, you don't, you know, we live in a generation, let, let's just be honest with you, one of the best markets out there is never let them see you sweat. Right. You yeah. know, uh, I'm fantastic. I'm fine. I'm great. I'm wonderful. And we all want to put our best foot forward because 
let's just be honest, none of us like to hear people complain and whine and gripe and moan and all that. I mean, right. it, you know, I really, Brother Runyon hit it on the head the other day. I really don't want to know how you're doing. You know, I just want you to say you're fine because that causes commitment. If I really ask you, how are you doing and you're not doing well, if I'm really being sensitive to the Holy Ghost, I'm going to stop and I'm going to minister to you. Right. You know, just being real honest with you. But how many of us have time to stop and be sensitive to the Holy Ghost? And mm-hmm. oh, we got to go. We got to go here. We got to go here. We got to meet them. We got to be at this place. We got to, you know. And really and truthfully, you know, me coming in and, and just doing that little bit of exercise energized me. You know, and it allowed me to be a part of something again. You know, and that's that was, you know, to me, it was a very good thing for me, you know, mm-hmm. just being around people that are precious like faith without having to impress you guys, you know. Well, your ping pong game impressed us. So, well, it should have. <laughs> yeah. And the thing is, the thing is, I, of course, I remember vividly because that was whenever we really first got to know you was playing ping pong. Right. And when we would get done playing, they would the conversations like this is how we ended just about every night. Yeah, is, yeah. is gleaning from your life experiences, right. and it really it encouraged me too. I mean, I, I remember I was I can't remember what sermon I was preaching or what I talked about, but I, I remember giving a testimony about going through a dark time and a lot of questions of and. Then like the the man who asked you, "What are you doing here?" Yeah. and you had to go ask yourself in the mirror. I'd been asking my, myself that same question, mm-hmm. and when we would have these conversations, I remember it would be an encouragement to me that that uh, you had faced some of the things that I was feeling, right. and or even still were in some degrees facing some of the things that we were feeling uh, fighting. And I knew there was a way to overcome, and then and then other things I knew I wasn't alone anymore. Right. Right. And that that I, you know, like there, there's the person who, who's out there that when you talk about the very personal uh, feelings you've had, the thoughts, suicidal thoughts, there, there's people out there that have those thoughts and they feel like they're the only one and, yeah. and they're, they're not alone. Right. And you can overcome it and you can come through it and you can have a brighter day and the darkness can be rolled back. Because it's happened to other people because you're not alone. You're not alone. You're not the only one that's facing that. Right. I remember and you were talking about how we would play ping pong. And after we'd play ping pong, we would sit down and have these hour, hour and a half conversations yeah. about life. Yeah. About yeah, everything. God. Yeah. I remember, Brother Harkin, you would have no recollection of this. But Brian and I, after we'd get done, as he was driving home and I was driving home, we'd call one another. And you say that we meant a lot to you. You don't understand what you poured into our right. lives just well, by right. playing ping pong with us right. and those it, conversations. It's something that's so minuscule. You Absolutely. Think. Right. You guys, you Seemingly minuscule. And, and right. you played ping pong. Right. But really, yeah. it was impactful. But it was three people with precious life faith. Yeah, it just gives the testimony about God the importance of fellowship. Yeah. yeah. Oh, no doubt about it. No doubt about it. Uh, I will tell you that I, I had to preach my sister's funeral. She committed suicide. Mm-hmm. And then her daughter on the anniversary committed suicide. And mm-hmm. then just this past oh, year, Lord. her brother or her oldest son committed suicide. Wow. And I think that during this time, it, it's kind of like, and no, I would say it's just alike, that after I came into the church, preaching, pastoring, 
And just out of the random blue, you, you would think, I'm going to go get it something to drink. Well, devil, you know I don't drink no more. But the thought would come there. I'm like, what in the world? Where did that come from? Mm-hmm. You know, in fact, I, I would joke about it. But, like, you know, if you meet some very ultra-conservative apostolics, they're, they're usually pretty uptight about anything carnal. And uh, I had some precious people in my my uh, circle of sphere of influence that I would see during the holidays and things like that. And I would always, hey, you want to go get a drink? You know, it was a joke, <laughs> but it would light it up, you know, because like, you knew they were not going yeah, to get yeah, a drink. Yeah, you, yeah, know, yeah. you know, they would test the grape juice at communion to make sure it was pure grape. No, they would test it. But, but you know, in, in saying that, in, the, in, in those, in, in these last three years, you know, them, my family members committing suicide like that, that's, those thoughts were planted. And I think mm-hmm. that it, he tried to kick me when I was going through the, the, the darkest mm-hmm. time, you know, through that depression, those thoughts would come. But every single time, and I, and, and, and I can't say that I didn't, there, there was a time even uh, when I was a young man that I actually had that thought as well. So I've always fought that mm-hmm. spirit. And that is, uh, the, 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 and I've used it in sermons before, and, and I still use it to this day. And that is, you're already crying. You're already very overwhelmed. You're already uh, wanting to give up. You're already fighting all these emotions. But the thing that kept me, even as a teenager or a young 20s, uh, from doing it is the same thing that still keeps me today. And that is, I love God too much to mm-hmm. throw away. If I lost my life, I don't believe that I would be saved. Mm-hmm. And there's no room in my life without Christ. Mm-hmm. And just to be honest with you, the love of God, God, even hell sometimes looked like a good deal when I was growing up. Mm-hmm. Wow. The weeping, the gnashing of teeth, the sheriff's people at our house, seeing things that I saw. You can live with all those, or you think you can live with those. But missing out on Christ, that's inconceivable. You know? Mm-hmm. So anyway... I, I just thought I'd throw that out there for you that, you know. Yeah. So in your darkest days, what does the enemy say to you? Well, he always says give up, you know, because, you know, really and truthfully, the world needs you and me. The world needs us. I know men preach separation from a holiness standpoint, but there's so much more to separation than just holiness. And that is godliness isn't always just holiness godliness is is being in so in love with a savior that you operate at a different level you're called out be separate and come out from among them doesn't just mean in dress it, it means in your thoughts in your attitude mm-hmm. in your motives in your spirit you know i want to be that person that that is separate and it's never more on display than when you have a chance to act just like the world, but you choose not to. Mm-hmm. You know, I pride myself more on that than I do my shirt length. Right. If that makes mm-hmm. any sense. Right. Uh, talking in tongues, it, everybody talks in tongues these days. Yes. You know, and God's going to have to separate the wheat from the tares. It's not my mm-hmm. job to, to to figure out who's saying it correctly or not because to be honest with you, I'm not God. I don't know who's doing it right and who's doing it wrong. I just mm-hmm. leave that to God. 
but but when it comes to your actions, they speak volumes. They do. And and I want my actions to be separate. I want I want that separation. In my darkest days, the world may turn to suicide or alcohol or addictions or what Paul says the weak and beggarly elements of this world. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't want to do what Galatians says. Do I build again the things I once destroyed? You know, alcohol was in my life at one point. I don't want to build that again. Otherwise, I make myself a transgressor. So in my darkest days, that's when I have my, okay, I I got it. I know where I'm at. God, you're great. God, you're mighty. And I turn to the book of Psalms or I turn to Isaiah 12 or I turn into Galatians. Galatians seems to be my go-to book. Uh, Galatians and Ephesians, putting on the whole armor of God. Or Galatians 5, the, you know, the works of the flesh. It's such a great checklist, you know, because mm-hmm. the works of the flesh tell you exactly how you think. Or the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. You know, if you're fulfilling all those things and you know that the enemy has come to steal, kill, and destroy... Well, then it's, it's your heart problem, you know. But if you're walking in the Spirit and you're not fulfilling the lust of your flesh, then you know it's a spiritual warfare problem. Mm-hmm. Does that make any sense? Yeah. Wow. That's yeah. deep. So, That's uh, deep. Amen. So, Well, um, it's amazing how God has answered your prayer, by the way, about how you said, God, if you just let me be a Sunday school teacher in a yeah. bigger church, because our church runs about how many you think on a Sunday morning? A couple uh, hundred. Yeah, 200. About 200 or yeah. so. Yeah. And and Brother Harkin teaches on Sunday mornings. And Brother Harkin is a the tremendous, best. The best. tremendous, the best, <laughs> tremendous preacher. I love him. He, he is a tremendous preacher. He's a tremendous Sunday school teacher. Uh, this last Sunday morning, I came into the lesson a little bit late, and it was it was a powerful word. And like he was saying, he doesn't hold back I and mean, he's no. he's a very bold man of God uh, let me ask you this because as a, a student of, of ministry um, I want to ask you about how you put together a sermon um, of course here in, at the POJ on Sunday mornings we, we do a curriculum uh, from the Pentecostal publishing house but I would like to ask whenever you're asked to preach on a Sunday morning or a Sunday night or Wednesday night what is the what is it like um, building together, structuring. How would you describe the way that you preach uh, for the young minister out there that's uh, just kind of beginning to preach? How would, how do you put things together? How do you structure a sermon? Well, really and truthfully, uh, I know this is going to sound very basic, mm-hmm. but if you don't know who you're preaching to, you better get a hold of God. Okay. And if you know who you're preaching to, you really better get a hold <laughs> of God. Mm-hmm. Uh, you definitely got to season it with prayer yeah. and ask God to, to direct your steps, order your steps. Uh, I've told people all my life, and I agree with this statement, that is, if you use three-fourths scriptures and one-fourth of you, you've at least got three-fourths of a good sermon going. <laughs> uh, but really and truthfully, I look for sermons everywhere. Mm-hmm. You know, I look for sermons in my life, you know, practical. I don't know how you read the Bible, but the way I read the Bible is if it says in the beginning God created the heaven and earth, I, I, I place myself at the beginning and say, mm-hmm. God, what was the earth like? You know, what was it like being dark and void? And close your eyes and imagine that. You know, close your eyes if you're talking about blind Barnabas and close your eyes and try to be blind Barnabas. Try to feel the the pain or the darkness or the try to feel what whatever it is that you're trying to bring out to minister to people you know 
to be honest with you, I didn't even get off of page one yesterday. I barely got to page one of our lesson, which I knew the whole lesson. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I try to mark up our lesson well, but as for sermon prep, I usually start with a scripture, whatever scripture it is. And I want to, you know, I look in dictionaries to try to find synonyms. I try to find antonyms. I want to know, I want to squeeze life out. I'm not so much Greek and Hebrew. Uh, I'm a little, I let all the theologians deal with Mm -hmm. all the Greek and Hebrew. I mean, every once in a while I'll throw something in there that makes me sound educated. But, (laughs) you know, really, you know, I've always, I've been told that if you, if you communicate on a fifth grade level, that's an excellent sermon hmm. and uh, because no one really cares about how smart you are. Yeah, that's right. And one of the best lessons I had was in college with my biology teacher. I, I graduated. I'm going to throw this in there for all my elementary teachers that may listen or my high school teachers. Uh, I graduated cum laude from college. So I'm a pretty sharp little fella. Yeah. Uh, but I worked hard at it. But my worst grade in college was a D in biology, and it's because I had a professor who was infinitely smarter than everybody else, and he taught infinitely smarter. He was not interested in connecting to his students. He was interested in teaching us how much he knew, but not us learning. And that really worked on me to be able to communicate. I want you to be able to walk out of there or walk up to that altar with that consecration or commitment or whatever. If you're preaching just to be heard, you're probably not going to have the impact. You may get the applause. You may get the cliches. You may get all the... But but if you're really ministering, if you're trying to connect, you'll walk in the Spirit in your sermon before you ever preach it. And you're walking in the Holy Ghost expecting an outcome. Uh, I preach towards an outcome. I want mm-hmm. something. I want you to be able to walk out of there going, praise is what I've got to do, or worship is where I've got to go, or the giant is under my feet, or the sword is in my hand, or you're going to know that I've said that title 8 to 10 to 12 to 15 times. You're going to walk out of there, and if somebody asks, well, what in the world was he talking about? My God, he said it 15 times. You know, mm-hmm. this is the moment. You know, So to put that sermon together, you start with a scripture, and then I try to always have something applicable. And that word is a big word, but it basically means relational. You know, what what, what do people, where are the people at? These are God's precious people. He brought them in here, not so that you could impress them, because, and, and I've had the blessing of going through that depression for three years and also many other times walking into the house of God and sometimes just getting there. It's an accomplishment for a lot of people that are fighting way worse things than you and I are fighting. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to beat them over the head. I'm going to love them like Christ loved them. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often would I have loved to gather you? Well, that's the gather. They made it to the house of God, the, the place where they should get strength, the place that they can get nurtured and fed and place that they can get hope. And I love our son that says hope lives here. I just mm-hmm. absolutely, I try to take pictures of it every baptism just to <laughs> remind myself that's the whole purpose of all of this is is to speak life into people's lives so uh start with the scripture start with something relatable i even bought a reader's digest for a young minister one time and said hey i want you to read a reader's digest and remember a story from it mm-hmm. because that happened in our age not jesus age yeah. now find a scripture that goes with what you just read mm-hmm. and apply those two because it's so important to bring history alive 
with a modern day story, something that connects yeah. the people. Hopefully, this is what yeah, you're the, wanting. To yeah, know. the illustration is important. You know? So, what are some of the uh, study? Uh, what are books, really? What books would you recommend? I see you actually brought a book with you. Do you yeah. want to talk about it or some books that impacted you? Uh, where would you steer a young minister to at a, to begin a library? Once again, I, I think any of uh, Verbal Beings Prayer, mm-hmm. uh, in the Walking in the Spirit, mm-hmm. uh, anything from, obviously, the UPCI as far as ministers of old uh, and ministers new uh, and I'm not even afraid to use you know there was some sermon you're talking about for preachers that are trying to get sermons yeah. there are sermon nuggets from uh, from Jerry Jones who's a tremendous preacher Ken Gurley uh, one of the most defining messages in my life is called Life's Second Greatest Decision by Ken Gurley mm-hmm. I would not have the wife and the beautiful family I have today if it weren't for that holiday youth convention mm-hmm. where he preached life's second greatest decision. I had it memorized. Huh. Uh, Mike Williams, because of the times, you know, I wanted to emulate Mike Williams. Now, obviously, I fall way short. <laughs> so does everybody else, yeah. ironically. Yeah. Just a majestic, masterful masterpiece of yeah. massive words. You know, it's like, oh my Lord. You know, but really, I found out. Notwithstanding, I yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but But I found my place, you know. One of the best revelations I ever had was uh, I was teaching a Bible study and I was winning. Mm-hmm. And the problem with winning a Bible study is you're, you're, you're losing the soul. Mm-hmm. And God hit me in prayer. He said, you're really good at, at winning debates and arguments. You're just terrible at winning souls. Oh. And uh, that, that, that overwhelmed me. Mm. That, that, that Lord help me. I can use this precious word of God for a stick or wow. I can use it for, for good. Wow. And uh, that was a defining moment for me. Hard to, to swallow that. Yeah. Well, it, it, it's really, uh, it's what God does. You know, that's what God, uh, you know, it, it was for me a life altering. Lord, help me not to try to impress these people anymore. You know, and, and I can't say that I always tried to impress people, but I wanted people to count me worthy to be on the God's team or whatever. And until I figured out that, you know what, God's got me and this is God's and these are God's people. And this is this is his ministry, not Bobby Hartgren's ministry, you know, and and it's and I read this scripture a little bit different than a lot of people or maybe everybody reads it the same way. I don't get in debates. So I, uh, I try not to get in debates. <laughs> Uh, but it says nation shall rise up against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And I feel like in, in our generation, there are men that build their own spiritual kingdoms. Yeah. Not just the United Kingdom versus some other kingdom, but but spiritual kingdoms that, that this is my church and I have complete authority and I have complete rule. And, you know, and really and truthfully, you know, I've seen those ministries and there's a world to be saved and God raises up ministries in those churches. And I've seen good men fall by the wayside because of their kingdom mentality instead of a kingdom mentality. So you touched on it uh, when you just made a mention about different messages. Um, I want to ask you, what are some of the life-changing messages that you have heard that stand out to you? Because you mentioned Ken Gurley's The Life's Second Greatest Decision. Uh, some of the, the preachers that you followed, that you listened to, uh, what are some that stand out to you as, man, I remember that message. I want us all to answer me. this question. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, I probably you probably have to stop me at some point, but <laughs> Floyd Odom's "The Cross and the Crown," 
uh, at Texas camp meeting was probably the only place that I've seen a preacher beg people not to come to the altar call. Wow. And they just kept coming. It was it was almost like a sinners in the hands of an angry God moment. Mm-hmm. Wow. It was amazing. And, and that uh, message had such background too. Yeah. Oh, because didn't his he daughter had lost pass his away daughter that day or yeah. the day before and refused to go home. Mm. It was just a it was an amazing deal. And in fact, he left after that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but that to me was one of the most life impacting. The treasures in the field by Wayne Huntley. Mm-hmm. Every minister should hear that. Every where did he um, preach that at? Uh, I want to say because of the times uh, or Texas camp meeting. I get them at that time. I was very involved, so I tried. Yeah, to, you know, uh, Vesta Mangan, uh, Weepers and Warriors, and I. And I'm gonna probably say a couple names that some men would not like, but I'm gonna say them anyway. A two mile man in a one mile world with David Fuller uh, was one of the. One of my, I mean, the cornerstone with David Fuller. Yeah, David Fuller was an icon to me. I mean, he was one of my favorite preachers growing up. Mark Hamby, the ones who weep are the ones who count. Um, so many men have impacted your life through these messages. Yeah, oh, those are people that, you know, I, I know that they're, they're, they're in different places now, but those messages are still relevant. Smoke, Smoke in God's Face by Brother Doug White. Uh, absolutely, you know, save my darling from the dogs, Brother White. I, I want to talk about a message real quick that you recommended to me, talking about Brother David Fuller, uh, when he preached because of the times, wounds that never heal. Oh, yeah. Uh, probably one of the greatest messages that I've ever heard yes. as far as, I mean, it really has everything. I mean, you could talk about the, the style of which it's delivered. And, I mean, he delivers it Perfectly, as far as if you're if you're looking to critique a message, that's the message you can't critique because it's so well put together, right? And just masterful message, a masterpiece of a message, but not just the way he presented it, but the the heart of the message itself. Right. And that was a message, like I said, you recommended to me. What did that message mean to you? Well, it's it to be honest with you, wounds that never heal, or you know, I could. I have 2020 vision now because mm-hmm. of hindsight, mm-hmm. you know, and some of the most impactful messages that I know that I have preached are because I was preaching to myself. Yeah. And knowing that that a good person made a, a, a bad decision uh, in, in hindsight. Mm-hmm knowing that he was under the weight of preaching that with such conviction. Uh, God speaks to us first before he speaks to the congregation. Mm -hmm. And uh, once again, for me, there are pains and there are trials and there are things that we go through, but all things, uh, Romans 8 and 28, all things work together for good. In fact, I'm going to go ahead and make a plug for Raymond Woodward's Mm -hmm. uh, Wednesday message at Louisiana Camp Meeting this year was off the charts. Wow. And he broke down Romans eight twenty eight like I have never heard it. Speaking so. of Raymond Woodward, did you, did either one of you guys, hear, well, I know Brian did, um, he, uh, because at the times a couple of years ago, Who's Sitting at Your Table by Raymond Woodward. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, oh, my That's Lord. That's a good you all, you Do yourself a favor, and if anybody hasn't listened to that, the man, I, I won't spoil it for you, but the man preached with such conviction, he wept through the whole sermon. Wow. Well, I'm telling you, uh, I want to I give my plug real yeah. quick. Um, I've thought 
Brian gave me um, a list of questions. Well, some of the questions we were going to ask you tonight, yeah. just so we could be on the same page. And gotcha. I read the question he just asked you, which one of those ser- which sermons impacted your life? And I've always thought it was the camp sermon when I was at team camp in the Illinois district when Tim and Todd Gaddy tag team preached, and Tim Gaddy preached um, that night sermon um, about not going to hell. And that impacted my life. But I really got to thinking, is that really the message that's impacted me the most? And I love Brother Getty. I love Brother Getty so much. Great man. man. Um, But I got to thinking of a sermon that my pastor, Joey McKinnis, preached when I was probably 15, 16 years old. Um, Brian, at the beginning of this podcast, said that he flirted with the thought of the world. And... I I can't say that I was a perfect Christian growing up. Um, Who can? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But um, I remember pushing the limits quite a bit. And my pastor, Joey McKinnis, preached a sermon entitled, and I'll never forget this, uh, When God Finally Becomes Silent, He's Chased After You for So Long. Here I am sitting in the pew thinking, this message isn't for me. Right. We've all been there. Yeah. And he preached about how, you know, God has followed you and chased you down so many times. How many times are you going to reject him to the point where what if God's no longer there and it's too late? I remember that pool that I had from that time on that I don't want to ever get to that point. And it's crazy how a sermon from 10 years ago still impacts your life longer than that, 12, 15 years ago now. But I'm telling you, that was such a powerful, power sermon. Brian, give give me your top sermon here. Uh, Probably my favorite sermon. Um, I wasn't there live for it, but I got a CD of it. Uh, Was Anthony Mangan. He preached, I think it was at a Louisiana camp meeting back in like 2007. It's I had the CD. I've loaned it out so many times I to forgot me. who I loaned it to. <laughs> but uh, it was a, a message entitled The Root of the Matter. The um, of the matter. It was a fantastic message. I don't know how anybody could even get a hold of it other than trying to contact the campgrounds in Louisiana and see if they have any Hopefully kind of archives. It's on YouTube. Uh, I, I haven't seen it on YouTube, but that was a fantastic message. Like one of the quotes that uh, I remember him uh, saying in that message was he was talking about uh, how people in the church will talk about people's sins, how that, that sin's sick. And he said, you know what? We're sick too. He said, because I pastor a great church. It was a good church. It's not a great church because it's not a Book of Acts church all the way yet, but we're getting there. And he said, but I know we're sick too because I get done preaching and I look up while I'm giving the altar call and there are people leaving while I'm giving the altar call. And he said, there's too many people waiting to get to McDonald's instead of trying to get people to heaven. And that was, like lines like that impacted me. So there's, there's many messages I remember that stand out to me. Uh, of course, I'm from a different generation. Um, like I remember at NAYC, a message that that blew my mind that stands out to me is uh, J- Jimmy Tony's message entitled A Generation of Giants. I just recently went back and re-listened to that message. Went to Bible um, school with Jimmy. That, that was it. Don't, name drop. Don't name drop here. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I put down just real quick a list. He was of, good then. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, went, I wrote down a list of, of preachers that I, I really enjoy listening to that um 
and this is in no particular order. Uh, Brother Wayne Huntley um, preaches some of the most. Uh, he preached some of the most incredible messages that I've ever heard. Messages like the heroes of the morning, um, uh, half Israel, no sons. Uh, you got Brother Why Anthony. Why some Pentecostal kids won't make it? To that's that. a fantastic oh, message. My word, what's it's because wrong? the parents don't serve God with joy. Is wow. the crux of that message. Um, we got uh, you know Brother Anthony Mangan it because of times, of course. You know, he's just every time you hear him, it's life changing. Brother Jeff Arnold is the king of, of preachers. I, I enjoy listening to Brother Joel and Nathaniel Urshan. Um, Brother Johnny Godare, I enjoy listening to his messages, even though they, you know, many of the messages you find like on YouTube or you find archived on podcasts are a little bit older. Even his messages that he preached in in the nineties are phenomenal, they're, they're t- timeless, timeless phenomenal. messages. Uh, Brother Sam Emery is one of my favorites to hear. And, of course, Brother Larry Booker, the way that he can put together a message and the way that, uh, I mean, when he, he's just masterful in the way he presents and the passion that he presents with, I, I think that he's certainly one of the greatest preachers that I've, I've ever heard. Yeah, if you, I plan this in my right mind, mm-hmm. if you've ever heard that message, mm-hmm. just. Who's that by? Larry, Larry Booker. Larry Booker. The, is that the one where he talks about the friend that. The, uh, the sniper. No, okay, I don't, I don't, I'm not familiar with that one then. He talked about the sniper who for three days had to endure the uh, the right calculations to take the perfect shot during the Vietnam War, mm-hmm. had to endure the ants, the rats, the snakes, moving inch by inch, and he had written down, I planned this in my right mind, because he knew three days later he'd be hungry, he'd be exhausted, he'd be tired, huh. and he knew he had to get to a certain point to make that shot. And he knew he would want to settle three days later when he was in the midst of the battle, in the midst of the emotions, in the midst of all of that. He would look down and remind himself, you can't stop here because you planned this when you were in your right mind. Mm. Wow. That's mm. pretty powerful. Yeah, that's what I'm going to have to do. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's, it, yeah. it was pretty phenomenal. Uh, I tell you, Larry Booker is just was one of my one of my favorites. I planned this in my right mind. It's one of the best. And you grew up just a few miles away from the one of the best kept secrets in all of Pentecost. Absolutely, Bridge City, Texas, brother uh, Johnny Harrell, and uh, unbelievable. Oops, was I not supposed to name drop? No, no, you're good. Oh, okay. No, you're good. Yeah, I was just absolutely blessed by. Uh, I love my pastor. My pastor's mm-hmm. been my pastor. But uh, as I've grown in ministry, I've grown to absolutely love even just Johnny Harold's conversations have uh, dimensions that are just phenomenal, phenomenal, phenomenal. Just strong apostolic teaching. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, I love to hear James Kilgore when he preached on love of God and grace of God. There was no better mm-hmm. No better moment. I was going to bring up one more person. He's been gone for a long time. You you said you got angry with God one time. Well, I got angry with God in in 2000. Uh, When I came to the Lord, I've always faced the baggage of not being good enough. And I remember my pastor telling me to take a week off uh, and go to camp, and God was going to open doors for me. So I went, and back then it started on Monday night. So I went up Sunday night, stayed all day Monday morning. Actually, it started on Monday morning. They would have prayer for ministers. And I was the youngest guy there, and everybody else was 80, I think. Uh, <laughs> but I wanted to be there. You know, I wanted to be um, I wanted to be a part. So I went all day Monday, Monday night, all day Tuesday, 
Tuesday night. And I told the Lord Tuesday night, if no one talks to me tomorrow, Lord, I'm going home. My pastor missed it. I'm going home and I'm going to be the best youth pastor I can be. And evidently, um, pastor missed it. And, uh, you know, it's okay. I'll just be the best youth pastor I can be. And that's it. So Wednesday came and, and no one talked to me. So I checked out of my hotel, packed my car, and I told the Lord, I said, I'm not going to any of the big restaurants because I know preachers are going to be there, and I don't want to give them the chance to, 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 to this is how my mind mm-hmm. worked anyway. I don't want to give them a chance. I made up my mind. I'm going home. You already gave them their chance. I'm going to, exactly. And, and I can at least work Thursday and Friday. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to go through the drive. I was skinny back then. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go through the drive through at Taco Bell. Well, Taco Bell was packed up, packed pretty far where it wraps around the building and I was on the front side and I watched the biggest lady I ever saw in my life get out of a pinto (laughs) Uh Uh and I literally went I am not eating here because I don't want to be fat so (laughs) be careful what you wish for so I leave Taco Bell and I go to nobody eats Chinese buffets Mm -hmm. at a Chinese buffet where buffet is spelled wrong yeah are you following me yeah I guess so I went into this empty parking lot of a Chinese buffet and I said I'm going to get me a couple egg rolls and I'm going to get me some rice and I'm going to head on home and nobody's there so I don't have any chance of running into anybody and I go in there and I'm fixing my plate and the door opens after I've been up there and I'm fixing my plate and this short guy looks around. He's in a suit, evidently a Pentecostal, because uh, Lufkin's full of them. Back then, the, the district had split, so you could have twelve to 15,000 on any given day. Wow. It was rocking. And uh, he said, I guess you're the one. Hmm. And I said, excuse me? He said, I, I guess you're who God wants me to meet. And I said, uh, oh, really? He said, uh, you don't know me and I don't know you. He said, but my family's eating with the youth committee in Texas right now. He said, they're over at such and such restaurant. And he said, the Lord told me to get up and come to this restaurant that he's got a word for you. And for the next three hours, Brother Sean Cox spoke into my life that God was going to open doors. And that night I got two revivals and mm-hmm. just things just blew open from there. But but he spoke in my life like nobody could. And I only bring this up because I, I want to bring up one of my favorite ministers, and that's Brother Sean Cox. And I'm still talking about being angry at God. Uh, the second time this happened was... We'd been preaching out, we're married, we're back at home, and we're evangelizing. So we preached out Sunday morning, but we drove in Sunday night so we could be in service with, with Brother Sean Cox, who was one of my favorite. I mean, after a man of God speaks into your life like that, you, you'll drive eight hours to see him in service. Absolutely. You know? right. So we got home, and the Holy Ghost, man, people, it was a blowout service. There was people all over the place. We walk in the back door probably 25 minutes late, uh, just driven four, four, four hours to get there just to be 25 minutes late. He's got control of the service. He says, you too, before we can even sit down, y'all come up here and stand on the platform. Now, what you don't know is that Friday I'd quit my job, and that Saturday I told my wife, you know, we were going to go evangelize. You know, we'd, we'd talked about it, and we quit our jobs. And I told her that Saturday morning, without Brother Sean Cox there in my room, in my bed, we're going to fail. 
this is what did we just do? This is not smart. And hadn't seen him. We were off preaching. Hadn't told my pastor. Hadn't done. I mean, there's no way he could have known. Right. We're up on the platform. We stand there as he ministers for 30, 35 minutes going around praying for people. And he finally walks up to us and he looks both of us in the eye and he says, the devil says you're going to fail. And he's a lie from the pits of hell. Oh, my word. Exact words. The very same words that that I had told my wife in mm-hmm. my bedroom. He literally looked at both of us and told us. God's got you, not hell. Hell told you this, but God's got you here. Wow. And so it was a very defining moment. So we have, you know, once again, everything worked out. Revival after revival, we evangelized. We we, we never missed a, a Sunday to preach. And I'm a, I'm not a who's he. Yeah. I mean, it, it just was amazing. Mm-hmm. Takes me to my first church in Ashdown. I'm pastoring my church, and I'm looking forward to getting Sean Cox to come preach for us. Even though he's a he's preaching times of refreshing, he's preaching all these huge. He's preached Texas Kim meeting. He's preached everywhere. He's he got those big gigs. Uh, he's unbelievable. Yeah, and I mean, but I mean, he's still my mentor. He's my Elijah. He's he's you know, even though my pastor's always been my pastor. He wasn't like a one stack, you know, it ain't smoke unless it comes out. He was a pastor that loved preachers, and he loved Brother Cox. Well, Brother Cox is preaching at my home church and gets killed in a car accident or gets in a wreck going to my home church while I'm pastoring in Ashdown. And so if I've ever uh, travailed, if I've ever fasted, if I've ever prayed as hard as I could pray for a man, I prayed for him, his wife, two little kids, uh, with all my heart, I just knew God was going to heal him and raise him up. And after 30 days, they took him off life support and he passed. Mm. And I was so angry at God because you just took Elijah. I mean, why would you take that from me? Exactly. What am I supposed to do now? You know, and I mean, just like you with your dad, it has no disrespect to your dad that you weren't, you you had found somebody that related to you. Right. You know, your pastor, my pastor taught me to golf, everything. My time, he he taught me everything. Uh, I lost that mentor. And I mean, I really had to deal with accepting that, you know, even God chooses to take people at an early age for his it's his it's his will, not our will. But it doesn't stop me from missing Brother Sean Cox, one of the most powerful preachers I ever ever have had in my life. Mm-hmm. He was a tremendous influence and there are days that I think the last message he preached was the church in the presence of wild men. And uh it was just powerful, 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 powerful. Anyway, I wanted to share that. Well, other powerful so, story. So uh, you, this was a tremendous loss that you experienced due to a death. Let me ask you this. In years of ministry, going to Bible college, I'm not asking for a name of a who, but I wonder, what has there been somebody that you were connected to that you saw them go the wrong way? What person walked away from the truth or or gave up them on the potential of what they had that affected you the most? Well, I've got tons of friends that, that in their 40s, for whatever reason, their 40s are very, um, I don't know the best way to say it. In your 40s, you start experiencing reality that you're not as young as you used to be 
and the voices that you've always had in your life have went on to their long reward, and mm-hmm. now you're having to make some of those decisions and calls. And several of those men, right around 43 to 48, uh, I'm not going to call their names, but they, they did leave our faith for uh, either sexual immorality or enlightened, charismatic-type thinking mm-hmm. that somehow the grass was going to be greener uh, somewhere else, only to recognize that they... Um, I guess the best way I can say is life happens to every single one of us. Every one of us are going to go through our 40s if we're privileged enough for the Lord to allow us. And kind of like when you have... Uh, Kind of like when you have uh, 18 to 25. If you remember when you were 18 to 25 and you remember when you were 18 to 25. Not long ago for me. Uh, not very long. But th- th- those are very discombobulated years. Yeah, where two years ago for me. You know, well, I'm yeah. going to be real honest with you. that you know, I didn't, Y'all may have matured quicker than me. Mm-hmm. But, but thankfully I had the military to kind of guide me through those times of... Uh, Extravagant energy mm-hmm. and not so extravagant ideals. Yeah, you know. And then by the time I got out of Desert Storm and got home and got in the church, I had people like Carl McLaughlin uh, that put their arm around me and just prayed with me and and loved me and 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 you know just really Nathan Hargrave right here in Arkansas now mm-hmm. uh, were very kind to show me a, a different way. Donovan Burkett, pastors in Fort Worth now, tremendous guys that 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 showed me, hey, you know, you're rough as can be and you're raw as can be, but you, you can make it. So yeah. that was a transition age, and then forty to forty three to forty eight, I've seen more men walk away, and I will tell you, one of my best friends is not in the faith today, and very, um, very. Um, discouraged with God at this time because he was a organizational darling until the organization was no longer I guess the, the thought I'm trying to say is, is scriptural and that is there came a generation that knew not Joseph Okay, every one of us are going to go through that thing where you were the up and coming, you were the rising you were the next whatever it may be and if you buy into it, your fulfillment's going to be predicated upon men's praise instead of God's mm-hmm. praise. And the thing that has sustained me, and I'm, I'm, I'm just blessed to have wonderful pastors in my life that have just been patient with me and prayed with me. But, but the only reason is I've always had my, to me, I've always had the same pastor my whole life, even though I've served other pastors. That voice of never get too high, never get too low. You know, remember, it's all about the kingdom. It's not about you. You know, those piece of nuggets that were invested in me. It's, you know, and then Brother Runyon said something, or not even Brother Runyon, the the man that preached yesterday. This church was before us 
But yeah, it was Brother Runyon. The church was here before us. It would be here after us. That's right. Mm-hmm. You know, and really and truthfully, we are just in a chapter, you know, but there's many more chapters, or there may be this the final chapter. I don't but know. What a, but a, how blessed are we to live in this chapter? Yeah. yeah. What a season. Oh, man. Yeah, but so going with that, um, so I've always been told the three biggest pitfalls that a minister is going to face is the lust for money, sex, and power. Yeah. And so would you agree that those would be the three, or is there another that you would add to it? Well, or no, no, I definitely agree with all three of those, and I'll tell you why. We all want to retire one day, mm-hmm. and none of us want to retire broke. Mm-hmm. But the bottom line is, if you listen to some of the leading gurus, uh, I can't remember. I can't. I'm trying to remember who the person was that said it. But he said it's an older gentleman. Uh, in fact, it's called the Secret Place. Uh, the Secret. Um, anyway, he, he basically breaks down a uh, hundred men. Mm-hmm. A hundred men at the age of 25, all of them's going to change the world. But by the time that they're 65, five of them are financially successful. Mm-hmm. Only one of them is, is a wealthy person. The rest are financially successful. The rest are either broke or broken. Mm-hmm. And, and basically, those are the statistics. That's whether you're in church or out of church. And what happens is, and I'll just tell you a little bit about myself, teaching school and living off a rural pastor's salary is is not the way to wealth Mm -hmm. in this world. It may be the wealth in the kingdom of God, but you are carnal and you are spiritual. You're you're a spiritual being having a carnal moment, Mm -hmm. you know, because your spirit's going to live forever. And so your value system, uh, let's see if that's... We're trying to find what he's talking about yeah. here. The, the pleasures of Google. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, go to Yahoo. I mean, uh, YouTube. Uh, O-U-T-U-B-E. I do want to share it with you because it's, it's a very impactful. And since we're talking yeah. about very impactful, uh, the richest man in Babylon is another mm-hmm. story that I listen to. Uh, that just basically talks about become a cess. And, and you start feeling your legacy of... Do I want to? Yes, we all want to inherit the kingdom of God, which is why I feel like some of me is at least live in a place. Do you know how to look at my history on this right here? I don't. Okay. (laughs) Um, Anyway, it it basically says that, you know, 75 percent of men are not going to be financially successful because of their poor planning. Mm -hmm. They may exist, but they're not going to thrive. And so you start thinking about those things. You didn't think about that in your 20s, in your mm-hmm. 30s. You really don't think, unless you're ahead of your time. you know. Mm-hmm. And there are some guys that will be that five that will go on and be successful. But for most of us, you know, it's, it's a drive to, I want to please the kingdom. I want to build the kingdom. At the same time, if I had more money, I could do more for the kingdom. Or if I had more money, I could do this. Or, you know, once again, the power thing for me, once I finally figured out that I don't want to be organizational driven, you mm-hmm. know, I don't care about being in the, the left section of camp meeting. I don't care about sitting in the right section in our church, wherever the right section may be. I don't have to have line sight with the pastor. Mm-hmm. If somebody sits in my seat, I'll just move. It, it, to yeah. me, yeah. You, you eliminate the mountain if you just don't make it a big deal. It's not exactly. a big deal, you know. And so I really... 
do I have aspirations? Yes. I want to see a, me be the servant of a church that's growing and thriving mm-hmm. and doing incredible things. Well, guess what? I am. Yeah. You know, I don't have the title, I don't have the position, but I'm a part of something beautiful that's going mm-hmm. on. I've never been a part of a revival where we've baptized somebody on average every week all the way to July. Mm-hmm. That's never happened in my life, and I'm a part of that. I'm a yeah. very small, insignificant piece, but I'm a part of We're it. a part of the body. I got That's exactly right. I got mm-hmm. to live in the age where in the United States, people are being radically changed. That I'm a part of that. I'm a part of something so much bigger than than I've ever been a part of, you know. Right. And so that's the kind of thing. Yes, I've been to revivals where that's happened, but to be at the church where it's happening yeah. and so much unity and so much people pulling for each other. Yes, I'm sure there's problems, but I'm not the pastor, so I don't know about them, yeah. you know. So what a great season for me. What a beautiful chapter to be a part of this revival that's going on. So, um, so. With, with your years of experience, if you could go back to yourself now, to your day one of pastoring, Uh-oh. <laughs> what would you say to yourself now? I think Shakespeare said it's best, and I know no one wants me to quote Shakespeare, but I do. To thyself be true. Mm-hmm. Uh, I tried to pastor like other people pastored. I took other people's opinions and I valued those over my own. And to be honest with you, Brother Tenney, uh, he... he, he said it best, and, and he used to write a communique, and I have them saved somewhere. It was basically his letter to pastors, and it's almost like Paul writing to the church. And in that communique, he said, you must come and covenant with your land, and you must come and covenant with your people. And to that dining room, to, to a diner, that waitress, you're becoming her pastor before they even know it. You know, and, and if I could go back to to that, I would not. And, and to a certain extent, I'll be honest with you, I've always been kind of counter culture when it comes to trying to please other pastors. Because, you know, until they come knock doors in my city, I really didn't <laughs> care what they thought about me. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, and I don't mean that being disrespectful. But, you know, if you're not winning, my job was to win my world. You know, uh, there's a book out there, Bloom, where God has planted you. So in Prescott, I did my very best to reach the people that that were there. You know, and at that time, I taught 16 people GED classes, you know, because there was a need for it. There was a need for why I was going to college and I'm getting in my education. But these people didn't even have high school educations. And and precious people, but when you pay your tithes and eggs, four don't take eggs, mm-hmm. you know. So I was able to minister to those people and really came in covenant with those people. At the same time, I felt like when the Lord lifted that and, and I was able to go to four dice, it was I felt in my spirit that that the Lord allowed us with our college education to to introduce a whole nother level that challenged me to go further in my ministry to minister to business people. You know, so I was a part of the Rotary, I was part of the Chamber, I was part of the Lions Club, became the Lions Club president. Uh, All of those things to me matter because you're rubbing shoulders with the influencers of your community. Mm -hmm. And uh, once again, I go back to that, that tough time that I had in Oakdale, Louisiana, where this church of uh, of 400 in a town of 5,000. Mm-hmm. It was it was a precursor to what 
I'm pastoring a church of 35 or 40 people, what I knew could happen had you had the vision to just go in there and plug away. You know, your wife's educated in the education system. You know, it only made sense for me to be a part of Rotary, part of Chamber, part of Lions Club, the Leo Club in the high school, eventually becoming a high school basketball coach. I think I threw that in there just to kind of <laughs> give other preachers in there something to preach there about. You, uh, you know, but, but that's me. That's who I became and that's who I was. Uh, and today I probably wouldn't. I don't know that I'd want to be that bold again, uh, but to my original self, follow follow the leading of the Holy Ghost and what you're doing, but don't be afraid to let others speak in your life positive things and reject the negative things. Mm-hmm. So, Brother Harkin, this has been a tremendous interview. We have, we greatly appreciate you taking the time to sit down with us. Um, one final question: um, You kind of went into um, when you left pastoring and you came here to the POJ um, here in Jonesboro, um, you were in a depression. And you're, you've come out of that depression that you've shared with us. Um, the final question I'd like to ask you is, if and when you pastor again, what will be different? Um I'm not trying to promote you by any means. Yes, no. Um, but just with what you shared with us on this this conversation we've had, you've you've went through a lot since you've pastored. Right. What will be different? Well, I, I pray that I'm more equipped to handle and be more sensitive to the major things that need to be done and not major on the minor things that that maybe have rattled me in the past you know really you know a sonic cup in the church used to just make me want to pray (laughs) you know where a musician may have you know left it you know when they were practicing or something Uh, the other thing is I probably the reason I haven't jumped out there is because I want my children to be protected more than anything. And I see now that only God can give me that protection. So now I'm in their rooms pleading the blood of Jesus over them like I used to. And, and I think the next time that I pastor, I'll be a lot more sensitive to uh, not getting caught up in, I don't know, you get overwhelmed thinking you're the one that's doing the job. And really, this church and the others that I have visited since I've stopped pastoring, one of the weights that I carried was thinking that what is everybody else doing differently than I'm doing? I must be doing something wrong. And hell was constantly telling me on Monday morning, you should quit because anybody would do a better job than you. And now I see that even in a large church, percentage-wise, uh, we could have 200 on Sunday, but we may have 75 or 65 or 85 on Wednesday night. Right. Percentage-wise, that's no different than running 50 and dropping down to 20 or mm-hmm. 25, mm-hmm. percentage-wise. Mm-hmm. And so 
you know, I think I'll be a little bit more mature. Not that numbers matter, but numbers do matter to that preacher. That preacher yeah. wants to see growth. I heard of a pastor. He was uh, being critical of himself. He felt like he was a failure in his city because his church wasn't big enough. And then uh, whatever it was prompted him to do the uh, percentages on his city, the demographics uh, of the population size of his city versus how big his congregation is and what percentage of his church made up the congregation. And then he took Alexandria, Louisiana, and when he did the math on it, his church was by far a smaller church than the POA. But percentage-wise, he had more members of his community in his church. And where we look at Alexandria, Alexandria as that's the pinnacle that's the in, Mecca. in in the yeah. UPC. That's the pinnacle. If right. you're in the independence, you probably look at Brother Holmes's church in North Little Rock as that's the pinnacle. Or right. um, in the WPF, maybe again back to Brother Holmes or Brother Johnny Godare's church in North sure. Carolina, uh, Carolina. These churches to really look up to. But if you're even if you're pastoring in a small community, that doesn't make you a failure. If your church is running thirty people, I mean, if you're in a community of three hundred, you've got ten percent of the yeah. community in your yeah. church. Right. Well, that was the thing that, you know, whether whether we want to admit it or not, we are goal-driven. Absolutely. You know, we, we want to hit those goals. And when you hit a stagnant place, uh, I can tell you that the biggest mistake I made was I felt like I gave up too early, you mm-hmm. know. And really, I should have saw that, you know, I, I handled the big things well. I can handle foundation falling in and out and having to pay $50,000 to fix our foundation. I can handle, you know, the loss of a tremendous youth pastor that was doing great and died suddenly of a heart attack. I can handle that. I can handle one of our main givers of our church who was just, he, his life was centered around giving and, and him going on to his long reward and receiving his reward with heaven. I never... I thought I could handle. I can handle people talking about me. I can handle t- people uh, falsely accusing me of things. I can handle everything and recognize it was just a spiritual attack. But I was not prepared to handle people attacking my children, mm-hmm. and, and I was ill-equipped. And I think I had, we all would be pastor wise or not. Well, the tragedy is I had isolated myself, so therefore I didn't have the go-to people that would normally carry me through Mm. with their wisdom of having been through it before. And that really was the biggest deal was, you know, and I'm just going to say it whether they hear or not. When you put your hands on my child, I found out how I have so much more to to grow in Christ. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I understand. It's the yeah. best way I can yeah. say it is I can handle anything. I can yeah. handle just about, I, I never, it was, it was a complete blindside. Right. And, and then for me to have those feelings in my heart and stand before a congregation and preach about the love of God, well, am I a hypocrite or am I not? Because yes, I love God, but did I want to turn the other cheek as quickly as I could with all the power that I had within me? I wanted to turn that other cheek as, mm-hmm. as, as harshly as I could. And that's not what I mean of God. Right. That's what, when, when you say I'm transparent, that's probably what I am the most. I pray that I, and I'm not saying that just to, either I'm called of God and I'm supposed to be godly or I need to sit myself down and submit and say, hey, you got some growing to do. And next time I pastor again, It'd probably be my grandchildren that I'll have to walk through. Mm -hmm. You're going to face the test again. Mm 
mm-hmm. but this time I pray that I'm equipped with the right people in my life and the right mentors and the right walk with God uh, to do that. Well, so, so much of our conversation, it seems like it kind of goes back to the importance of not isolating yourself. We talked about dealing with suicidal thoughts. How one of the things that in depression, the things that brought you out was fellowshipping with, with yeah. godly people. Um, talking about uh, some of the things that you would do differently in, in pastoring. It goes back to um, having that uh, network of people that you can rely on and refer back to. Yeah, yeah it's and, just so and, critical. And the point of this podcast is to show that you're not alone. Right. Mm-hmm. Everybody right. deals with it. Gotcha. But do you uh, have a final word on anything? Well, I wanted to share a story. Yeah. Uh, and I'll try to be brief because mm-hmm. I know we've been a little long. Uh, How long have we been? Just out of curiosity. I couldn't tell you. Oh, well, Arkansas has called him a couple my times. My wife, my wife is definitely calling. Hey, she's on Facetime right oh. now. Oh. Uh, you can go ahead and make your way, babe. We're almost done. <laughs> I love you. Uh, oh, man, how real the podcasting we get. We're FaceTime our wives. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Don't edit that out. Oh, a happy life is a happy wife. <laughs> but, but I wanted to tell a story that my pastor told probably when I was seven, eight, and he used it in a lot of sermons. And it's been foundational for me, and, and I want to keep that story going. So I'll share it with you guys. Mm-hmm. And uh, whether it's true or not, it does not matter to me at this mm-hmm. point. It's a proverb. Mm-hmm. And that is, there was a man named Jimmy that worked at a gas station right across from the church. And every day, Jimmy would come to work about an hour early. And he'd go over and he'd start the coffee pot. And then right at 6.30 every morning, from 6.30 to 7.30, he'd walk across the road. And he'd go to the church. And he'd pray. Jesus, this is Jimmy. I just want to thank you for my business. I thank you for our church. And spend an hour in prayer. And uh, he did this year in, year out, year in and year out. Much like my pastor has done, 4.30 in the morning every day he's at that church. Mm -hmm. And he would teach this lesson, Jesus, this is Jimmy. Until one day, Jimmy came, same time, everything. Got the coffee pot started. Started walking across the road, and, and Jimmy got hit by a vehicle. And he went to ICU. And he stayed in ICU for about several weeks. And every day between the hour of 6.30 and 7.30, his blood pressure would be bad all day long. But between 6.30 and 7.30, everything would regulate. Which was his normal prayer time. Which was his normal prayer time. And uh, the way my pastor tells it is after Jimmy came out of his coma and came back, they would ask him, said, we've noticed your blood pressure would be erratic all the time. But between 6.30 and 7.30, um, we noticed that everything would be perfect. Can, can you tell us what was happening at the time? He said, yes, sir. He said, every day between 6.30 and 7.30, an angel of the Lord would come and sit down by me and say, Jimmy, this is Jesus. Just want you to know I'm right here with you. Oh, wow. Mm. You know, and whether that story's true or not, the principle is every day be consistent. Every day do your best to be consistent with your walk with God. You know, have that time with the Lord. Have that fellowship with the Lord. Have that Bible reading, you know, even when you don't feel like it. We walk by faith, not by emotions or feelings. So I pray one day my pastor has that Jesus, this is Jimmy moment. And I pray one day you and I and, and all of us have that. Yeah. What a way to end. Yeah. Jesus, this is Jimmy. Wow. Wow. Well, 
since you're waiting on your wife to come, anything you just want to talk about in the meantime before <laughs> well, that? Or the Lakers are looking good for next year. Oh no, let's not talk about that. <laughs> Maybe we should have just left with, with, "Hey Jimmy, this is Jesus." Yeah, yeah, yeah I should have left it with Jimmy. This is oh, Jesus. Well, Brother Harkin, thank, thank you, you guys. so much. Yeah, oh, we. Uh, uh, anything you want to ask us or talk to us? To be honest with you, you know, what's your why? You know, what what motivates you to be a part of this church? You know, have you thought about it? Or, you know, not, well, not let me know. let me tell you something. Uh, I went to a prayer conference not too long ago in Illinois. My dad is now a presbyter of Section One in the Illinois District, and he puts on a um, district prayer retreat. And my wife and I went and attended a couple years ago. Doug Kleindienst was a speaker. And um, they had a retiring minister. Um, he had some uh, failing health. And uh, he, um, they kind of just, it was a very unique situation. They had everybody come up and, you know, he was laying hands on people and, you know, just a solid man of God, given his whole life to the missions field in the right. Philippines, I believe it was, and um, pastored churches for years. And when you say he's a rock, he's a rock. Right. And um, you ever been asked a question? You've been in church your whole life, and you ever been asked a question that you don't know how to answer that's so simple? It happened to me. Uh, I went up there and had Brother Sullivan pray for me, and uh, his name's Cecil Sullivan. And uh, I told him, I said, Brother Cecil, I want you to pray over my wife. And I had Meredith right beside me. And Brother Sullivan said, before I do, what are you doing for the kingdom? Mm. Mm. I said, uh, going to church. I'm faithful. He said, I didn't ask what you were doing. I said, what are you doing for the kingdom? And the thought that I have spent 29 years of my life devoted to church and I couldn't answer that question. I decided to live my life to answer that question. Yeah, That's and um, that is that is something I want to be a part of right. is His kingdom. And uh, I tell you, that's awesome. When someone asks you a question that you can't answer that you've tried to show, yeah, I mean. That is something. That's my why. That's why I'm here. Yeah. I want to yeah. be a part of his kingdom. Yeah. I want to build in his kingdom. I don't want to just attend his kingdom. I want to be I want to be a reason yeah. in his kingdom. Brian, how about you? I mean, uh, so what was the core of the question again? What is your why? What why do you attend? Why do, well, I got to say a lot of... Um, as far as attendance in church, um, for me, has always been what was planted in me whenever I was a young man. Uh, Brother Ray, whenever he was my pastor as a young man, he taught me so much. Uh, from hearing his ministry, he was very devoted to his the church, and he preached a lot about faithfulness and the importance of growing where you've been planted. I think that's been alluded to here. And so... I, you know, have, have I'm thankful that whenever I was growing up, I was taught faithfulness and I was shown faithfulness. Um, my parents brought me to church whenever I didn't want to be here, right. and so I'm thankful for that. And and it, it's something that whenever I was younger, 
I didn't appreciate, kind of scoffed at, but I'm thankful that as I got older, that was in me to be here and to be involved. And then going into like what I talked about with Brother Sanders, whenever he asked about leadership, there's something in me that that feels the call of God uh, to be drawn into to leadership and to uh, being a part of his kingdom and trying to find my place. And so some of the reasons of a why, why am I here, you know, it goes to I feel like I'm in a time of transition trying to find a place where that's the place that God has truly called me to. That's awesome. And so in the meantime, I intend to be faithful. Yes, sir. And follow after him. All right, Brother Harkin, it's been such a pleasure, such a privilege. Brian and I both greatly appreciate you joining us today. Thank you all again. You are awesome guys. And uh, everybody out there listening, we hope that you enjoyed the show. Um, Subscribe, like, tell your friends about us. Mm -hmm. And until next time, y'all have a blessed day. Thank you for joining the conversation.